Hey, this is uh, the semi-famous. Okay, my famous. This is Ryan Ali, artist of Invincible, and top five comics podcast. Word up, booyah! Welcome to Top Five Comics. People talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Today with us we have the legendary outlaw, Mike. <laughs> pair of headphones. <laughs> we have our heavy ordnance master, Rocket Ross. How's it going? We have the destroyer, Curtis. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> we have the Exordian Super Police, the guy who keeps us all on track, Steve. Does that mean you got special magic power? No, but you got a ship. I do like ships. And we have the living plant, Rob. I am Groot. I am Rob. <laughs> Groot. <laughs> and together, we are the Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. <laughs> and when our powers combine... <laughs> and when we use the rings and touch them together and say, Thing rings! Do your thing! We become a giant... Captain Planet? Irish guy. <laughs> Sorry. Who really likes potatoes. Okay, okay, okay. Out of, out of control. <laughs> Absolutely out of control. <laughs> Uh, Alright, so today we're going to do uh, Nightcrawler 4, uh, Green Lantern Corp, God, you stuff over there in the back, uh, number 34, Captain Marvel number 6, and Hex number 1. And in lieu of a uh, second DC title, uh, we'll do a review for the uh, Gotham Arkham Assault animated movie. Is that right, Ross? I think so. Right. Arkham Assault. Assault on Arkham? Yeah, there you go. Alright. So, uh, let's go start with, uh... The news. Ross and the dog pile got some <laughs> news, Ross? Yeah. When you say dog pile? It was Ross and the dog pile. What does that mean? Well, you know when he's watching dogs, he's got like eight of them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I thought, I thought a dog pile was something they left in the front yard. Uh, <laughs> the dogs they leave. leave a lot of them in the backyard. <laughs> See? It's dangerous. Perfect. <laughs> Ross, news! Yeah, first one I can think of that was like a couple of weeks ago, right after we did our last podcast. Not super crazy, but we had... Oh, the wrestler? Yeah. Super <laughs> crazy. Okay. Now we had a... Uh, uh, they announced that Jim Lee and a couple other of the DC artists are redesigning the monster serials this year, which is kind of crazy. So Frankenberry, Count Chocula, and Booberry? Yep. What's the wolf's name? Uh, wolf Whiz. Fruity Berry? Fruit Fruit. <laughs> fruit. And I don't think Fruit Root or well, I think it's Yummy Mummy. I don't think either of those are coming back this fruit, year. Fruit Brute? Yep. Okay. Fruit Brute. I remember Yummy Mummy, actually, but the Fruit Brute. It was actually really old, and they discontinued it. It was like 60s old, and they came back with it last year. That's cereal. (laughs) (laughs) Found it in a, what are those places called? Warehouse. Yep. (laughs) Going to the doors and the boxes and stuff. For the cheap stuff? (laughs) 
Ed Seaman Floors. The Crystal Skull was there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I pictured when he said that. It's like the Indiana Jones <laughs> when the guy just opens up and there's there was bats flying away from that box. That's because it's theme appropriate. <laughs> Halloween bats. What are those dogs digging at that crate? Hmm. hmm. That's brutal. Well, either there's a, bi- a body under there or there's some sausage in there. <laughs> oh, fruit bird. Never mind. Dogs go crazy about bacon. <laughs> they do. That's very true. Continuing with the news? Yeah. <laughs> More news. Ross, what else is on your breakfast plate? Um, well, we had... Oh, we watched one of these earlier today, but they had the Creature Commando shorts for Are DC. Are you to wear it underneath your pants? You know, that, <laughs> God damn that'd it. be awesome, but no. Like, like mini, little cartoons. Anime cartoon shorts. Yeah. Ah, yes, go on. And they're pretty, they're, they're pretty good. good. They're pretty funny. And uh, you were just telling me that they were going to do a crazy crossover with Teen Titans Go and Young Justice. Yeah, sounds like that should be a pretty funny funny show where you have the Teen Titans Go saying Young Justice is too serious and Young Justice saying Teen Titans Go are too goofy, pretty much. It sounds like it should be pretty good. And it's yeah. cool to see Young Justice again in general. And speaking of that, they did just release that on Blu-ray, which is kind of, that's pretty sweet too. That's true. Now, uh, did we talk about the possible scripts for Aquaman? Mm-hmm. Not yet. Okay. We had uh, Jason Momoa, who was confirmed to be Aquaman. And then shortly after that, we found out he had contract him and Wonder Woman gal Gido, I think, so you say your name? Oh, yeah. yeah. They both had contracts for six different movies, including... Oh, I the, thought hers was three. They changed it to six. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, my God. And they did release that they were going to release movies through 2025 or something. Yeah, something like that. So they've got the schedule down for their movies, DC hmm. does. But uh, Aquaman specifically, they have they hired two different writers to write a, write a script on the movie, and they're going to compare and see which one they like better. Russian roulette, probably. Yeah. yeah. We don't have to pay this guy. No? Too much? <laughs> <coughs> they both Any idea who they hired to write it? They said, and I don't remember who they are, neither neither one of them did anything that stood out to me, but both of them have worked on major movies. It's a dude and another dude. Yep. Oh, I don't think we talked about this last time, but this was a really cool thing that you found about the creator of Rocket Raccoon. Oh, the Guardians of, Garden, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, right. Well, yeah, um, well, a while back he was in a car- crash and he was hit by a car and he's got brain damage, like unre- unrepairable brain damage. And uh, so Marvel, I guess, man, I think it was the C- Marvel CEO, set up a screening for him at, he lives in a home where they take care of him, you know? Thank God. Right? Well, he lives in a home. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in a, like an assisted living home. Well, facility. Because his brother <laughs> helps him out, too. Right. And uh, they set up a screen for him of the movie, uh, like at like at his at his room or whatever, which is really pretty cool considering, I mean... Yeah, they got an advanced release copy of it so they could take it to his home and, and actually screen the film for him while it was in theater. And when he says a while back, it's not like one or two years. It's been since like 93, 94. Yeah, it's been, oh, yeah. been quite a while, yeah. It's been about 20 years. But that was a really cool thing to do for... A comic creator, mm-hmm. you know, it's just something that kind of gets lost sometimes. So, way to go, Marvel. That was actually really cool of you. They announced uh, 
Peter Tomasi is going to be taking over Superman Wonder Woman Woo-hoo. in November, which that'll be awesome. Number 11, I think? Yeah, I think so. That's cool. And Doug Mankey is going to be drawing it. And he did the Tower of Babel crap for JSA back, JLA back in the day. Tower cool. of Babel crap? Well, <clears throat> books. The definition of stuff. And he was doing a lot of uh, Green Lantern yeah. when uh, Jeff Johns was on that book. Yep. Really? Yeah. He might have actually worked with uh, Tomasi a little bit mm-hmm. there, too. Mm-hmm. That's cool. He's still doing Batman and Robin? Yeah. Awesome. And supposedly, the news with Batman and Robin is that there will be a new Robin in the end of all this Robin Rises stuff. So mm. There's still some speculation that it's Damien, but I, I think it's probably going to be someone brand new. Really? Yeah. Batman with a bird. That'd be awesome. I'd be okay with that. Running around with a bird on his finger. They did have... Pooping on enemies. You remember the Thanksgiving (laughs) picture? (laughs) I just reminded me talking about Robin actually being a bird. You really need to go carrying around like a a crazy bird cage with a Robin in it. No, that'd be funny to me. Yeah, okay. Some of those... (laughs) Dressed as a Robin. Some of those Thanksgiving prognostications are finally coming true with, with Batman and Eternal. Mm. So, but I don't know. I I'd be really surprised if we went through all this and we don't get a version of Damien back. You know, I could see him bringing Damien back and him not being Robin, too. As much as as much as I don't think I'd like that as much, I could see that happening too. Maybe Bruce deciding that he couldn't. He's too dangerous to be a Robin or something. He gets him back and like just pulls him out of the Lazarus pit and he's like, "You're fired." <laughs> <laughs> That's all I wanted to say, and then he just throws him back in. <laughs> Go with your grandpa. <clears throat> so messed up, yeah. So messed up. Like a Vince McMahon, you're fired. <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sure. Well, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know about this, that, those prognostications, but all right. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, they'll be Damien Blank Slate, and they'll have Carrie Kelly teach him how to be Damien, and the other kid will teach him how to be Robin, and that'll be that. I don't think Carrie Kelly is going to be in it at all. No, he's going to do with all that trouble for no reason. All I hope that trouble so. for no reason. Let's hope so. Didn't, weren't we talking? I when we were talked to him, didn't he say something about you didn't think Carrie Kelly was going to be back? I don't remember that. I don't remember if I read that in an interview or if that's something we actually heard from him or in made up. Well, that's you. Still taking care of the dog? Uh. Uh-uh. In theory, yes, but the dog's running around with him fighting with Frankenstein. I so he can't be watching the dog while the dog, unless there's two dogs, or unless the dog has a persona where he stays at home. <laughs> And so she watches after that dog, which is like, I don't well, know. Maybe Frankenstein will be the next Robin, then. This may be a damn sense. You know, it's funny. He yeah. says that, and I picture Frankenstein dressed as Robin. Yeah. Like, first Robin. <laughs> bring the wing shoes. Yep. Bring back the pixie <laughs> shoes, yeah. <clears throat> oh, that's, that's wrong. Is there any other news, Ross? I, not that I can make them right off the top of my head, but I don't know if you guys have anything else. I feel like you were telling us other stories earlier. I don't remember. I'm um, Star Wars, were Oh, yeah. We had some leaked pictures of uh, Harrison Ford's concept art, supposedly. And Stormtrooper helmets. Yeah, and Stormtrooper helmets. Good BMX helmets. Maybe. Apparently, uh, some plot was leaked. I don't know. It's hard to say how reliable the information is, but right. supposedly... 
Luke was captured at the end of episode six, and so this movie will start out with him being missing for several years. And, and he does have a beard, so and it was forced upon him by Disney. He looked very Obi Wan Kenobi ish. Huh, alright. I remember seeing the picture of him with the forearms and whatnot. Mm. Interesting, okay. And the interesting thing about Han Solo is they showed his new outfit. Yeah. And it looks an awful lot like an Imperial logo on his outfit. Hmm. So you're thinking that the, uh. He defected? No, uh, maybe. You think the Rebels defeated the Empire only to become the Empire? I'm almost wondering if that's a new Empire, yeah. Hmm. Or maybe they're maybe it's maybe not an empire. Maybe they just kept the the symbol. And well, the rebels. If if we went with what the um, the old extended universe did, the rebels didn't immediately like take back over. They had to fight the rest of the empire out of Coruscant and a lot of the other systems to take back the um, take back the systems the way they were. So whenever they actually get to Coruscant, a lot of the people that were already entrenched there didn't necessarily want to go back to the mm. Republic. And so they kind of kept... Wasn't there like a second Imperial party? party yeah. Because yeah. there was a whole bunch of... Like, basically most of the moths turned into warlords. Mm. They were just like, oh, well, Palpatine's gone, but I still have an army. Mm. So... Which it's hard to say, but I'm think I I think that the new one's probably just going to completely get rid of. All I'm sure. Everything yeah. a, a lot of that's just going to be thrown away. They've already said that, so it's too bad. But hopefully they do cool stuff. Regardless, you know, it's <laughs> all we can ask for. Yeah. yeah, I like cool stuff. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> I guess we'll see when the movie comes out. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is true, uh, but it's it's in really good hands. I mean, J.J. Abrams actually is a pretty fantastic director, and he's. You know, if you watch any of the stuff with uh, Fringe, you know that he's he's always got something that he's working on, and a lot mm. of times it's really cool. And he has a, an actual deep connection to Star Wars, so he's not like you know no, like some like of these directors that come in and they're like, oh, I can't understand how the universe even works. So everyone's gonna wear fancy pants. Yeah, I do love fancy pants. He didn't. He drew. He didn't understand Star Trek. He wasn't a fan of Star Trek. No. Boots, so that might be. Are you referring to the Fantastic Four movie guy? <coughs> no. Oh, uh, doesn't have a grasp of the universe. Nothing oh. fancy about that. Well, I mean, sometimes that works out well. Like Christopher Nolan didn't really have a great grasp of what Batman was, but he did a great job of it. Yeah. You know. So I don't think the Fantastic Four movie will get that lucky. But then you turn around and you know you got like. Transformers, or like even the new looks of the turtles, and it's like, well, you kind of missed the point a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but the film could be still fantastic. I haven't got to see the turtles yet. Could be good. I've heard turtles lies that the Ninja Turtles in the movie are really good. Mm. But the even though it takes some time to kind of get used to the way they look, their actions and their attitudes are pretty much the turtles that we know. So. Yeah. All right. Well, interesting. I've heard mixed reviews. So. Yeah. Well, I've also no. <laughs> okay. Generally speaking, when I, when God, I, I love this. Oh, it's so stupid. Mm. Yeah, I'm conflicted. Mm. <laughs> That's pretty much how it goes usually. But from what I understand, J.J. Abrams did actually really want Star Wars, and he almost didn't take it. And his wife was kind of like, "No, this is the job you really wanted anyway." So that's cool. You should you should really take it. So, there for a long time. This is pretty off topic too, but. Yeah. There for a long time, J.J. J. Abrams was making a Samurai Jack movie, actually. 
Really? It's kind of crazy. That's, yeah. It kind of just got sidetracked with everything else he was doing, but him and Gendy were working together to make a live Samurai Jack movie, it sounds that's crazy. like. Back to the past. Man, that's... Wow, that'd be freaking awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> Damn you, Star Wars. Damn you. <laughs> For slowing down the Samurai Jack movie? Yeah. <laughs> It's a mix. I think Star Trek was the big one that got him off that. Oh, do so you want me to damn Star Trek too? Probably. <laughs> Instead, so maybe. It. Damn in the hell! <laughs> Don't you mean make it so? <laughs> make it so. <laughs> engage now. Well, engage would be correct for the movie. Yeah. Nice. All right. Make it so for the next generation. I don't know. Open hailing frequencies. I'm good. No. You're just gonna let them blow up. Let, let them do what they need to. Oh, man. <laughs> the, sec- the second one, we have RoboCop and the most deadly assassin in the world in it. It's impressive. <laughs> He's got a good point there. Yeah. It's old RoboCop, come on. Hell, you know, nothing? <laughs> man. What do you want from me? I, there, that's I, I enjoyed the movie. I'm a Star Trek fan. They were good. They were really good. Peter Weller. Right. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. Hell yeah. Right. You should have said that in that movie. <laughs> I awesome. I was waiting for it, but at least we got the last, the last little bit where yeah. he was like, drop it, scumbag. <laughs> so at least we had one of them. <clears throat> Take that, Michael Keaton, Batman. Mm. Uh, Rob, let's <laughs> do Nightcrawler. Mm. And those oh, worms? Oh, oh, hey. yeah. Huh? Huh? No. Huh? Bamf? No. Yes. Bamf, yes. Bamf, no. Yeah. What? No. I don't know. Chris Claremont? He is the one writing this, yes. Todd Nuke? Peter Nard? I think that's how you say his name. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's as close as I can get. Alright. And the color actually gets credit on the cover, too. What do you know? DC started a trend. Mm-hmm. I was actually something that... Uh, I think was already doing that. I know. Wasn't, wasn't it Bob Wayne was saying that he was? They were yeah. big about doing that this year. Yeah, Bob said they were going to start adding the colorists to the covers of uh, the DC comics. DC panels. Because with all their banner ads, they have to have one more word. True. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know there was a Superman movie, Ross? It's on the cover of every single book. What about the Arrow show? You like a shirtless man? Not that I don't like that show because it's awesome. No, 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 that's a different that's a different moving on, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Uh we actually start with Nightcrawler kinda of lamenting his old time with the the Uncanny X Men. Where they used to kinda of have breaks and they would go and play baseball. And they would have like kind of super powered baseball out in the yard. Back when X Men weren't having crossover world saving into the world battles. With the entire Marvel Universe. They used to be able to have summer fun. Mm. That sounds like the start of a song. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Ross from the cheat seats. Mm. Boom! That's what I like. <laughs> I think it was just that they were younger. And I think that's what he's feeling now. Right, it's like the first issue of X-Men. Like the, of the Jim Lee X-Men series. Where they're all out doing things, playing in the pool and whatnot. That's what the cast is like. Yeah, but um... Yeah, so he's he's just kind of remembering that, and he's remembering the family that he had and, like, how different it is now. Now, he isn't suffering as much as some of the other X-Men with the separation between the Uncanny and Wolverine's side, because most of them, 
that were a part of the Uncanny when he was there are actually still with Wolverine and the X-Men, but he misses that time. He's also dealing with a lot of, like, what am I now that I've been brought back to life? You know, I left heaven, so what am I now? You know, do do I still say that I'm a man of faith when I turn my back on heaven to come back here? Right. And he kind of has a moment at the end where he's like, I don't want to deal with this, and he, like, actually kind of starts shouting at the Bamps that have all kind of took into him like little minions. Well, the whole time he's having these flashbacks, he's actually out there playing baseball with the Bamps. Yeah. So. While, while filming his own positions everywhere. Right. But, um, there as he kind of is, like, having his, his moment where he, like, yells at the Bamps, he looks up to see the sunrise and has, like, this... I don't know if it's a vision or if it's just a memory or if it's in his mind of, of Gene as the Phoenix showing back up. And basically, like, telling him, you know, you just have to have faith and keep going with where you're going. And, like, he notices that she's not really there afterwards, but... Like, it kind of brings him back it's to kind of crazy, yeah. And I don't know if that's a remnant from his time in heaven, or if he just saw that happening, or if that was just all supposed to be, like, kind of in his mind, or what. Because it's right as the dawn breaks. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be real or not, or if it's... Yeah, it's hard to say what it is supposed to be. And they're also introducing another character, uh, Rico, in these scenes in the background. And I think he's been bumming around the Wolverine in the X-Men school, just kind of in background scenes, but we haven't really used him very much until this point. And so from there, like, Nightcrawler kind of goes in, and, like, he's preparing for the day, and he's going to kind of pick up his life now as a as a teacher while he works on a way to get back to the, like, heaven or hell dimension to, like, save... His girlfriend? Well, yeah, basically found out the reason he was up so early playing baseball in the first place was to calm his nerves as his first day being a teacher type at the school. So that's basically what he's going over with Storm and, uh, with Storm and Beast in the kitchen. And he's trying to figure out, like, um, what position he should be in as a teacher. And they're like, well, you know, just kind of watch and see what is actually what people need help with. It's kind of interesting, like, they also have, what, Guardian, you know, Protector in there, which is, I don't know, she hasn't been used a whole lot, so it's kind of cool to see her again. But, like, we kind of have Nightcrawler wandering around the school, and we see all the students, and he's kind of marveling about how full the school is, because, you know, he died back on Utopia, so he's never had the Wolverine school experience. And all the generations of students that he ever had were pretty small. You know, the biggest group was always the, the New Mutants, and that's like half of, like, even a quarter of what Wolverine's amassed here. And he meets Rachel in the hall, and she's kind of talking to him in her psychic projection about, you know, where he's kind of fitting in, and he's he sort of has this moment where he's like, I don't know if I really fit in here. You know, these kids are afraid of me. And I don't know if if this is the right choice for me. And she's like, well, you got to do what you always have done, which is, you know, make sure that you stick it out. Because a lot of people were always afraid of you, and you always found a way to win them over, and you'll do that too. You just have to keep with it. And so he kind of finds himself in a training session with a whole group of new students. And uh, the only two that we really, I think, have established in here is Mercury and Armor. And we get a whole new handful of people that are going to be probably important here soon. I've seen the Antler Girl show up quite a few times now in the 
Wolverine and the X-Men stuff as, like, this next generation of side characters they're going to play with. But he's basically, like, telling them, all right, well, this is where you kind of learn how to use your abilities in the danger room. You know, just don't expect it not to be real danger. And always remember to, like, treat this as if it's real, because it kind of is. So I kind of begin a training session, and we're evaluating how everybody kind of moves around. And one of the people that we see is this, uh, he's like a insect scorpion kid named Rico. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see that he's kind of not taking things too seriously, and he's like, oh, you know, the object of the game is to take out this main character here. If I just attack there, then that'll end the simulation. And uh, he kind of gets bested by it, and Nightcrawler freezes it, and he kind of is going over and he's showing our, you know, what you could have done differently. And, you know, if, hey, if you worked with other people, maybe the outcome would have been different. And so they kind of begin again, but this time, you know, with the thought of working together more. From there, we flash over to find some new enemies. They seem to me like they're off-world kind of creatures. And they've been contracted here to find this girl who, uh... Genius. Okay, yeah, that's right. She's a genius, and I think... Okay. Anyways, yeah, they're, they're contracted to find this girl that's a genius. Uh, some alien bureaucrat is wanting to buy her off the planet, so they're supposed to go capture her and bring her back. And they kind of make a big deal about how dangerous they are, and yet that, oh, they're not supposed to do any killing. And they have at least one of the guys, like, wind up shooting all these bodies that they had evidently knocked out and turning into kind of dust. And he talks about how, oh, well, I didn't really kill them, but they're going to wish they were dead when they, you know, once, once I'm done with them. Right. Which we never really get back to what that's supposed to be about. And they kind of introduce all of them as new members. And then we kind of go back to the Jean Grey school and we find out that Storm has decided to leave uh, Nightcrawler, the old uh, Blackbird, because right. they moved on to kind of newer ships now. And it probably will remind people who aren't super familiar with Kurt that not only is he a medic and able to fly planes, he can also fix planes. Right. And so he's, like, working on it, trying to fix up the engines to be ready to fly. And he winds up being approached by this Rico kid. And we find out that evidently his changing, whenever he was mutated... His body doesn't require all that much sleep, and so he kind of just tools around the X-Mansion. Exploring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of... He sort of is, like, befriending Kurt. And it's kind of a cool idea, because, you know, he's obviously a very deformed kind of mutant. So, freak. Yeah. Having, yeah. having Nightcrawler around might make him be able to, like, overcome that a little bit, you know? Maybe, Maybe yeah. he'll be able to learn to be better with himself instead of just being like, oh, I'm some kind of crazy freak monster. <laughs> Which he sort of is. I mean, he was creepy. Yeah. But I can see him being pretty cool in time. But yeah, Nightcrawler's like, hey, you want to go up with me in the in the Blackbird? Of course he's like, heck yeah, I want to go up with the Blackbird. So uh, they kind of go on this midnight flight, and as they're flying around, Storm uh, kind of opens a channel to him to communicate to tell him that they think they've found a new mutant in their area, and they should go check it out. And we kind of quickly find out that this new mutant is the same genius girl that these aliens are looking to collect. Right. 
So she may be even more than just a just a, just a genius. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it seems like a really cool new area for it. It's a great new starting spot in the Nightcrawler story. And it'll be neat to see what they're going to do with it, because uh, Wolverine and the X-Men picked a handful of characters that they really liked as their student body, and this is just kind of focusing on another group, which I think is a great idea. Right. Uh, Mr. Mike, you score book? We have a three. Alright. I can see how that would go, you know. I enjoyed it, but yeah... I can see. As standalone, it's kind of a cross. It's a cross between two events, kind of, mm-hmm. where it lands, because we're at the end of another event and the beginning of a new event, or new chapter, I guess. Mr. Ross? I'd give it a 3-2. Right. 3 also. 3 as well? That's a lot. 3.2. Curtis? I'm going to be with these gents here and give it a 3. I've never been a huge fan of Nightcrawler, but having that flashback scene in the beginning is kind of gives you the... Uh, it's not always guns and blazing and fighting aliens, so... Sometimes there's time for other adventures. Yeah. Short mm-hmm. time. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'd fall too. I, I give it, I give it three also. Um, it, it was a fun book, but yeah, it is kind of like a growing type book. I mean, the previous issue is a lot more pop for your book. Just with the whole chase of heaven and hell and then the girlfriend getting trapped over on the other side and whatnot. But yeah, it was good. It was a good issue. It was fun. And like you said, that Rico, the Rico character who looks freaky as hell, it's cool that he's, they're doing stuff with him, so it should be interesting to see where that goes. Um, Rob? Yeah, I, I'd probably give it a 3.5, actually. I, I enjoyed it. Um, it is definitely, like, kind of a new starting spot for it. Like you said, I mean, the last issue was much more crazy. But I like the idea of them kind of taking new kids and, and having them be important in this story so it'll be neat to see if they actually keep doing that or if it's just going to be you know this is a one off and then we'll go back to just Nightcrawler on his own want to move on to uh do Green Lantern Corp yeah, how you, how you, how you lads feel about that go ahead <laughs> uh, make it so make it there so there you go hey <laughs> it's like you caught up with everyone alright at least you two <laughs> yeah, warp so. two. Is that fast? Half impulse. <laughs> Im- impulse is the speed of light. Mm. So, so Half the speed of light. Yeah. So what's that's, warp then? That's usually warp is going to be. Isn't that a burger? Warp like one is going to be like one. I don't know. Because warp nine is like nine times the speed of light. Okay. So, so just warp would be the speed of light. Impulse is half the speed of light. So okay. warp one would probably be speed of light. Gotcha. All right. Sweet. Good times. We we learned something new. Now you know. Yeah. No and knowing now. Yeah, Joe. Awesome. Okay. So we open up to the science cell area on Mogo, in uh, you know, kind of the heart of the Green Lanterns organization now, the and. Like, John Stewart is pretty much, like, choking out this lady who looks an awful lot like Fatal. Um, fatality? Yeah, Fatality. Hmm. Which, if, if you've been following the series so far, um, the Green Lanterns had been... What do you call it? They, they basically had the Brilliance inserted into the, the Green Lantern Corp. Green Lanterns, yes. uh, along with a, a whole bunch of the other 
different alien classes and stuff, and people that they brought to Mogo both as prisoners as well were also Debrillians. Uh, evidently, the Debrillian will take another handful of years before they can physically like stay in their shape that we see them in um, the Legion of Superheroes. Although there's some that are evidently beyond that already, because there's a Green Lantern member that is a Debrillian. I was going to say, he looks just exactly like the other Debrillians. Yeah, he looks just like Chameleon Boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was lost, he was one of the Lost Lanterns back in the day, who was brought back into the oh, Green really? Force. Mm-hmm. That's cool, I didn't know that. So yeah, he was a Lantern before Hal went crazy, but he was way off in the oh, back part awesome. of space. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's been kind of been made important because of all the brilliance that are going on now. Um, but evidently the brilliance whole thing was that they were trying to make themselves a physical form that they could keep with immense power. So they had found out that they could evidently harvest doxamite DNA and the power of almost like a sun from these energy race people. And I can't remember the name of them, I'm sorry. But, um... If they do so, they would be able to stay in their form, like indefinitely, and have the abilities that Doxmites would have. When they encounter a yellow sun, and mm-hmm. so be like Superman powers. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Doxmites are crazy because they're Superman basically. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think it, it actually had never come up. I guess in the story so far, the uh, lead allergy. Mm. So I don't know if they know that. Oh, good question. Maybe not. I wonder if absorbing the blood, they, if they keep, if they get that also or not. You would think. I'd have to assume because it was actually something that, um, gosh, what's his name now? The Sorry. Eradicator? No, no. Eradicator, yeah. Did to them when they fled Krypton way back in the day. It was, it was like a punishment by the defender of Krypton, the Eradicator, for them leaving the planet. That's crazy. But that's old, old history. I don't even know if they're using that anymore. I assume that they are, but either way. Yeah, it's hard to say if they are or not. Long story short, Green Lantern um, managed to stop the Debrillians, and one of them winds up being has been posed as fatality for quite a while, evidently. And so now John's trying to shake her down. He's like demanding where she is, and evidently she's been stuck in this form. Like she doesn't seem to be changing, although she doesn't quite look exactly like Fatal anymore. Really quick, because I don't really remember. Fatality too much. I know that she and John had a connection of some sort, but I wasn't sure. They did. They had a love connection. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, they have more than that. Um, Back in the day, her her planet, yeah, her planet suffered an incredible amount of damage, and John Stewart actually exceeded the power that the ring can produce for Will trying to hold it together. Oh, okay. He's evidently the only lantern that's ever exceeded the power that a ring can provide. Gotcha. But in doing so, like, the planet actually winds up being shattered, like, because he couldn't hold it together. Mm. And so everyone on the planet died, in theory. Now, Fatal wasn't on the planet, but she holds John responsible for the death of the planet. And so she'd been on a mission to kill him for a long, long time. Okay. Now, she eventually was picked up by the Star Sapphire... And as the ring tried to correct her, she and John kind of came together. And, like, through the last several stories, they kind of wound up building this relationship. And, like, John had really thought that 
they had moved yeah. on, like that they had made a connection and stuff. Yeah, because the Star Sapphire Ring is really essentially like hypnosis and brainwashing, isn't it? It can be. Yeah, kind of. The ring was supposed to be less controlling than the old Sapphire itself used to be. Mm. The Sapphire itself, like the people who'd wear it, would be completely taken over by the gotcha. the Sapphire. So, like when Carol was the Star, the Sapphire. Star Sapphire, she was completely out of control. Gotcha. You know, the ring was supposed to be less less meddlesome, but Cause for some reason, I don't remember where I read it. I thought that they to become Star Sapphires, they like encased them in a crystal. And then add that after they emerged, they were star sapphires. Yes. And a crystal was supposed to be like brainwashing. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Purifying you for, for love. Anyhow. So John's all hell bent on finding her. And uh, as he's interrogating her, like he comes kind of dangerously close to killing her. And we kind of find out that the other Debrillian guy was watching him from outside the cell. And John's like, I knew that Hal would send somebody down to watchdog me, you know, were you supposed to be keeping me from killing her? And he's like, you know, I don't know, I think I'd probably kill her if it was me. So he knew he was there, it wasn't like he was sneaking up or anything, but yeah, it's it's fairly interesting because his response is more of, yeah, you know what, I probably would have killed her because uh, keeping her alive is not a good idea. Because the entire time she's just taunting him, like yeah, the entire time. But he learns a little bit, enough to send him on a direction to to try to track her down. And so he leaves the planet, and we kind of find out that Hal and the rest of the corp had made a whole plan, had made a deal with all the criminals that they'd been captured, or they've had captured on Mogo, that if they helped them ferret out all the Debrillian, that they would end their, their prison sentence. And evidently the Debrillian guy had made a, another deal with this character called Bloodhound, I think. And so all the prisoners are waiting to see whether the Green Lantern are actually going to honor their deal or not. In the end, they wound up doing so. But from there, we flash to another planet, one of the planets that they uh, had these group of uh, little gremlin-like aliens that had been collecting DNA for the Debrillian. And now that they realize the Green Lantern are onto them, they're, like, abandoning their facility. And they decide to let these kind of predators out of their cages. Those those little aliens look really familiar to me, and I couldn't figure out from where. Hmm. I think they're the aliens in uh, Young Justice in the second half of the series that oh, are on really? Earth that are taking the superheroes and. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they're the same thing or not. I don't remember what those are called either. I couldn't figure out where I recognized them from, but I think that's probably it. Huh. All right. Well, yeah, they figure that uh, it's it's too hot to uh, to keep. Fatal, where they're at, but uh, you know probably the predators will just eat her, and then they won't have to deal with it. So they all kind of like escape, and leave the predators to go attack her. And we have one of them that crawls up into her cell, like talking about how oh I've been smelling you for weeks, I wanted to eat you. And uh, when it comes out, like Fatal's chopped its head off, and <laughs> was ready to fight the rest of them. Yeah, it's pretty pretty hardcore. They basically have a bunch of crazy. Murderous alien animal types versus her bloodbath style. It's good stuff. From there, um, John is kind of following her path. He finds one of the ships that was supplying, once again, more DNA to the Derillion. He kind of smashes through the hole 
and like he seals the breach, but he basically tells him like, "All right, well, if any of you try to mess with me, I'm just going to open the breach." And I hear dying in space sucks. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much, yeah. And they're like, "Oh, you wouldn't do that." Let's just, let's just kill him anyways. And then one of them is kind of like, well, if he dies, duh, the breach opens and we all die in space anyways. And this was kind of interesting because, like, the Green Lantern are not really seen as heroes much anymore. They're actually kind of seen as thugs because of the last couple of big events that have gone on. And so one of them immediately is like, oh, he's a thug. He'd just do it anyways. But John kind of convinces them that uh, they need to tell him what he needs to know or they're not going to like it through this anyways. But um, we kind of go back to Mogo, and we have all the prisoners that are being let go, and then the uh, the hungry dog is the character that's going to help track down some of these missing uh, lanterns for the Debrillian Green Lantern. But everybody else kind of goes off on their own, and we kind of already see that they're starting to scheme that they might come back to Mogo. Right. But um, uh, in the uh, John Stewart's quest to like find her, he finally winds up getting to the, uh, the shipping container where all of the uh, the kind of predator creatures are held. And by the time he busts in, like most of them have already been slaughtered, and he sees like a bunch of blood, and he's kind of like worried about her for a minute, uh, just to find one of the creatures attack her or attack him. Sorry, and she like winds up throwing her knife through it, and as soon as he sees her, she's like. I'm gonna kill you! And, like, they kind of wind up having this whole fight between him and her. And, uh, what we start finding out as the fight continues is that, you know, he's like, I don't understand why you're fighting me. I thought we, I thought you loved me. And she's like, love? What? And we kind of find out that evidently the, the crystal had chained her and changed her and made her, made her into, uh, somebody that she wasn't. Like, she was a passenger. And there was no way that she could ever forgive him for the death of her planet. And, like, she was going to fight him to the death, but, like, she kind of feels like he was so misled that she'll just leave it till next time. But she still plans to try to kill him. And that's what it sounds like to me at the end. And then she's kind of, like, upset anyways, because she's like, well, if you were so in love with me, why didn't you notice that I was replaced? And, of course, John's like, baby. <laughs> Oh, like you actually get like a lot of emotional attachment in this story, and like see a lot of flashbacks of how important she is to him. Yeah, you know. So this is a very like kind of curt and abrupt leave for her. It's kind of funny to me because I'm pretty sure the last time I read anything with the two of them, that they kind of were like enemies more than they were. <laughs> but they really were, and yeah. it was, it's kind of been over this this whole the brilliant saga that they've been coming closer and closer together. Gotcha. And so I wonder when she was replaced, because I... Yeah, I wonder if it's just been all... It, it may have been just during this, this batch of stories, but she's... It's her that had the memories with him. Cause she remembers being with him. She just remembers it as she was in control, and it was the ring making the choices for her. Mm. And ever since she was tortured by the captors that had her to take her DNA, the ring eventually was taken off her because she ran out of love and only had hate. Hmm. And so, and that tells me she had some love inside. Otherwise, the ring wouldn't have worked in the first place. But yeah, she basically says she was a passenger and she's like brainwashed and it was just controlling everything. Hmm. And then she's like, "Yeah, that's pretty much it, John." And he kind of has a meltdown where he's like, 
you know, screaming, no! But, like, I don't know if he meant to or if the ring just did it, but, like, it actually s- strikes out on its own. Like, it, he's actually making constructs of him, you know, screaming and smashing the walls and, you know, just remembering all the situations that came up from him. And then we have a memory that I don't know if it's his or hers, but where she's talking to one of the uh, one of the criminals and she, like, whispers to him, Quiet, Conan. The brilliant are everywhere. We kind of just have this whole end of the series where, or the end of this issue, where John is just so defeated. Like, the one thing that he's been working for, and, like, he spent so much energy trying to get back to her just to find out that she was already gone. Like, that relationship wasn't real. All for naught. Sad day. Mm. Yeah. That's where we wrap that one up at. But. Ross, score book? I'd probably give it a three, like the last one. I like seeing all the the Derillians and uh, the other aliens that I think might have been from Young Justice, and it's cool to kind of see them doing stuff. I haven't read a lot of Space DC stuff recently, so it's kind of cool to get back into that. But Cool. What I liked about DC is I I think they have a pretty good handful of aliens that they like to use over and over again. Mm-hmm. Where like Marvel likes to just come up with something new almost every time. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that about yeah. DC. It was weird to me to have the Debrillians though, because from what I understood from all the um, Legion of Superhero stuff is that it was like years and years and years that we never saw Debrillians connect to the rest of the universe. So, mm. but. Whatever. It's good time still. First? I like John Stewart a lot. He's one of my favorite lanterns next to Guy. And uh, it just doesn't feel like he's getting what he deserves in this series to me. I'll give it a three. Mm -hmm. I think it's shaping up to be better than when it started, but I'll give it a three. Like they're selling him short? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I, I give it a two and a half. It, the art's good, and the story itself is pretty interesting. I mean, the, that whole idea that the, the, the other Debrillian had replaced Fatal or Fatality is crazy. So, like, that whole thing is nuts. And the idea that she basically was being driven by the ring is also crazy. So, I don't know. It, it is some interesting stuff, and I, I, like that. I liked it, though. Mm-hmm. That's right. The, the other thing was the um, the Fatal fake that's in the science cells, I guess in Mogo prison, I guess now. Mm-hmm. Um, she still has that uh, Debrillian, or she still has the uh, Doxmite DNA. Right. And so she might be even bigger threat down the road. Well, yeah, they're just keeping her from the sun. She didn't get the sun elements, so. Bob's score? Uh, I actually give it a four. I, I thought, you know, a lot of times what people complain about John was that he doesn't have a lot of emotion. And this issue was really, like, him letting it all out. I thought that was a really great aspect of it. I hate that they're taking this away from him, because I kind of actually like the idea of Fatality and, and John. But I guess we'll see. It's too bad as well, because she was one of the other, like, really good love lanterns. Right. So we need to see what they do with it. I, I like them expanding all the different corp members, so it's too bad that we lost her. Mr. Mike? Uh, I'll give it a three. Middle of the road. It's okay. 
Wow, singing its praise. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Mike from the back of the room. All right. Good times. Good times. So, uh, Captain Marvel? Go ahead. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> well, Captain Marvel. Uh, basically, what's been going on in the series is that Carol actually received kind of a request from this child to come help their their planet. When she gets there, she finds out that it's been a, it's a prison planet, and a lot of the people on the planet are sick. And evidently, this planet is within Spartek's empire, so it's kind of ruled over by Jason, which is Star Lord's father. Basically, he's offered them ships to get off the planet, but they have to leave anyone who's injured or sick behind. And Carol, of course, wasn't down with that. And evidently, she's met with a lot of the people on the planet and kind of found out that something shady is going on. Is it a prison planet or is it a mining colony? It's, it's a prison planet. Oh, okay. Because the mining quarries were something that they were doing illegally oh, right. on the okay. sly. Okay, sorry, my bad. That's okay. I confused the two. That's all right. Um, basically, what's happened is the... Uh, They've been extracting the the vibranium from this planet in secret, but they've been doing it so fast, it's actually causing the planet to pollute and be poisoned. So the whole reason that people are getting sick on the planet is because of them trying to take all the vibranium off the planet. And Without them knowing about it. Yeah. And Jason's whole thing about taking all the people that aren't sick now is so that he'll have an easier time getting to the minerals without them getting actually looked at and seen that it's vibranium sickness. Or whatever they call that. I don't know what they call it. It's vibranium. Well, I mean the sickness. Oh, vibranium poisoning? There you go. Dysentery. How about you? (laughs) Space dysentery. Uh, All right, all right. But um, it's, it's come all the way down to kind of a standoff between Carol and the Spartex. Empire's fleet ships. And prior to that, the queen of the planet, I believe, the leader of the planet, asked her to leave. Okay. And she wanted to stand with her regardless of that. So she goes up into space and kind of tries to stall the Spartax Empire from uh, making it to the planet. And then, well, then Jason, or Jason, whatever you want to call him, decides he's not going to wait anymore. He just, he's just going to attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's kind of having a video conference with his commander out there, and he's like, yeah, so Spartak forces... Well, okay, so we have the whole standoff with her out in space, and she's basically like, you know, if you keep coming, I'm going to tear your ships down. And uh, Jason's having the video conference with the guy, and he's basically like, well, you know, are we afraid of one girl flying in space? And the guy's like, well, I've been very... I've never really been afraid of a dead woman before. And Jason's like, oh, yeah... Go take her out. And we kind of find out that there's this whole kind of uh, rebel group that's on one of the Spartak ships, I believe, that are ready to kind of, like, lead a rebellion. Oh, right, right. Um, The kid kid that asked her for the help and her group of people. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. And they're kind of ready to take the ship, but they were waiting for some signal from Carol, and they just kind of decide to launch into their attack. And when we get to the planet, you know, we're seeing the ships that are leaving 
And, of course, you know, you got these kind of riot thugs out there that are overstepping their boundaries and kind of pushing people down and stuff, and the mob is starting to get to a point where it looks like it's going to turn dirty. And the leader is kind of trying to explain things to the Spartak commander out there about how, you know, you can't do this, you can't treat people like this, and that, you know, eventually the word's going to get out that this is how you guys treated sick and injured and children. And basically, like, she's like, well, you know, eventually this planet will be destroyed and no one's going to care. Because, you know, what what is this planet to the empire that the Spartak control? So you kind of see, like, very corruptive kind of people that are connected to Spartak, especially in this area. Carol kind of launches into her attack and so she's fighting all the spaceships out in space while we're kind of having this beginning of a riot down on the Earth, or down on the planet, sorry. And as uh, Carol starts blowing up spaceships, like, you can actually see some of them ignite in the atmosphere. And the Spartak general lady kind of gets worried about it and was like, oh, what's going on up there? And the commander's like, well, I have an Avenger helping me. So she starts kind of, like, getting this, uh, getting these calls from Carol. And Carol and the leader of the planet start coming out coming up with a plan of, with Carol and she's basically like well as long as you can follow orders we'll make this work from there she winds up calling one of the illegal dig sites and starts having them evacuate and she winds up finding out that there's at least a couple of fighters that are left on the planet and so they're going to send up the last two spaceships that they have up in the space to like run defense against the Spartak army and so she starts kind of commanding her her people to all sit down so that they can't seem like they're going to be protesting. So they won't be shot, basically. Yeah, it's like a silent protest. Mm-hmm. And so she winds up having the, uh, the two last fighters go up in space and kind of replace Carol so that she can go to another place on the planet. And we kind of have this whole thing where them being like, well, I guess we're going to go down in a blaze of glory. Well, at least we'll go down with awesome tunes. <laughs> I don't know exactly where that came from, but I, I, I must have glossed it in the previous stuff that they had, like, this musical thing. Mm-hmm. From there, the commanding officer guy doesn't really know... She doesn't really know what to do about these people and their protest. And so she winds up ultimately having uh, Jason's, like, video conference thing kind of sent down to her so that she can kind of talk to him. And he kind of, like, comes off as, like, such a jerk about, you know, how unimportant they are. And after he says a bunch of things that he probably shouldn't have, he finds out that she's, like, relayed it through all of his comm systems, and so it's showing up on all these different planets in the Spartak Empire, about how little he cared about this planet and... How, you know, he basically came off at the beginning of it being like, well, you guys should have all been dead. And uh, I'm kind of sad that I bothered to keep you alive now. Which is not exactly what you want your king to say. Really bad PR move for him. Her ultimate strategy was to have Carol go to the mines and wind up smashing into the planet and crushing these mines to bury the uh, vibranium even deeper. So for them to actually get at it, it's going to take several more years than they wanted to. They said like 200. Mm-hmm. Which kind of leaves... Years. It's kind of leaves Jason... Yeah. It's a long time, Curtis. I understand. 
kind of leaves Jason with like no options on the planet. So the siege of it needs to kind of just back off. And since now everybody kind of knows what his actions are, you can't really take your retribution on the planet the way you would like to. So the Spartak kind of have to pull back. And, uh, you know, in the end, yeah, Carol kind of saves the planet. And we have this whole kind of thing where she's trying to leave without anybody knowing that she left. And one of the people that had reached out to her is, like, trying to tell her, you know, thank you for helping. And it's like she doesn't quite understand. And I don't know if that's some of, like, her missing memories. She doesn't understand how to react to that. I think she just doesn't like to be thanked. So she's trying to leave before that happens. It's possible. Well, she winds up giving her this kind of music drive, I guess. So she kind of blasts off out of this story, and so the next thing's you know, on, to the, on to the next adventure for Carol, but she's definitely made an enemy of Jason, Jason yeah. and the Spartak, enemy, or Spartak Empire, which is kind of a good connection since she's now part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. So, Well, she made it clear that she wasn't real thrilled with the fact that he sold out the Earth to the Builders during that whole Infinity thing anyway. Yeah, that's true. Which he did. Yeah, she's basically neither of them are on the same page. He's not happy with her at all. But yeah, her connection with the Guardians of the Galaxy now it makes it even awesomer. 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 Is that a real word? More awesome. It is more, more awesome. All right. We've got a Ross is playing along. <laughs> Curtis score book go. I like this. I've been liking this whole series. Um, it's done really well. I'm not a fan of Kelly Sue DeConnick, but she does write a good story every now and then. Um, I like the interaction between all the different alien species, and, and actually, it's a good, good versus evil story. I'll give it a four, and that's including actually all the lead up to it. So, so overall, at this point, four. one to six, seven. Well, it has six issues. No, probably the last few issues. Okay, I'll give it a four. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I there's some of this that I haven't read. I, I do like the way this particular book played out. Um, you know, I, I give it a, I give it, a, gosh, I give it a three. I mean, it was a fun book. It's good space adventure. You know, there's battle on the planet, battle in space, and all the different like tricking Jason into saying the right thing in order to use it against him. Pretty good. And I, I don't know. I, I like Carol. She's awesome. So yeah, three. Rob. I'd probably also give it a three. Uh, I had a lot of good action. It was a cool story, but a little light on the end, I think. But uh, we'll see. I do like putting her directly against the Spartak Empire. I think that makes a better reason for her to be with the Guardians anyways. So, I, I think it showed that she doesn't have to fight. She actually kind of outwitted Jason at that point. Right. A little bit. So... Well, the other thing was that it was the people on the planet that outwit Jason into their own, you know, thing instead of just Carol smashing ships. So when she leaves the planet, you know, Jason's not going to just show up with his ships again because they're the ones who kind of defeated him. I kind of like that idea. Champion the people. All right, Mr. Mike. I'll give it a... I'll give it a, I'll give it a three and a half to between three and a half and four. The whole story arc was pretty good, All right. and it goes 
comparatively speaking from the last run, it goes a little lighter on the uh, uh, women empowerment uh, angle, which got a little old in the last one. Um, but it's, uh, the fact that she's tied to the Guardians, Spartax Empire, that always makes for a good story. So, pretty good. Cool. Mr. Oz? I give it a three and a half. I like the. Uh, it seems to me like a lot like Supergirl almost in space, and I always liked the kind of Superman space stories. So it's kind of cool to have that similar, similar well, type stuff going on. I can see that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Carol was amazing, so you know, it's pretty cool to see her with a, it's a good book again. So yeah, cool. All right, I want to move on to the text. What's next? Hex is next. <laughs> you ain't even far, that was good. Hex is next. This is coming out from who? Boom Comics. Boom Comics. Boom. Comics. Yeah. Michael Allen Nelson. Hmm. I, I don't know the name. The writer. Right. Yeah. And Dan Mora doing the art. Uh, Remember Outcast? Yes. He wrote that. Oh, okay. Outcast the Warrior or Outcast the new Robert Kirkman... Valen Outcast. Yeah, that one, Valen Outcast. You mean the band? I thought it was two, it was two guys in a rap group. I thought it was one person, so mm. you step ahead of me. <laughs> Valen Outcast was fantastic, so... I didn't realize it was the same, same writer. That's mm-hmm. cool. This is a witchy story. Yeah. Go on, Rob. Um, we start the story with a painting called The Empty Garden. It's an impressionist painting. That's in this uh, museum or, I guess, auction house we are later revealed to. And we kind of have, like, these crazy ninja guys that are coming down through the ceiling. And the whole thing was being told from, I believe it's this, this girl, Lucifer's Yeah, it's like Lucifer's. Like, what's happening description-wise? It's coming it, for her mind. All coming from her, yeah, like her thoughts. But she's basically saying, like, you know, it's not hard to, to steal things. You know, to be a thief, you don't really have to do a whole lot of work. You just have to do a lot of homework. And so you have to know what you're doing and know what you want to do. And these guys kind of come down, and they get over to the painting, and they're just about to cut it open. And here's this girl that shows up behind them, and she's, like, in a hoodie, and she's, like, eating an apple, and she's like, huh, what's with the ninja gear? And they're all like, whoa, what? Like, they start kind of pulling their guns, because they're like, oh, my gosh, we've been made. We're going to have to fight our way out of here. Like, oh, you don't really need to do that. And she kind of holds up her hand, and like this light kind of shines out of it. And I'm showing later, she's got like this little high powered flashlight while well, she's like blinded their night vision and stuff. And so they're all like freaking out. Oh, my right nose are burned. And she's uh, she still keeps on eating her apple, and she's basically telling them, you know, you didn't have to do all this work. There's there's basically only one security guard here. Don't you know there's a security system? His name Bob. <laughs> And he's evidently trying to lose weight, so he's been taking the stairs on his rounds, and so he's going to find your stuff on the roof soon. But before he does that, I think my apple has a um, um, a worm in it. And so she kind of like carves a symbol on the side of the apple, and this like crazy snake creature comes flying out of it. And it starts chasing around the uh, the thieves, and like whacks one of them in the head with its tail, and like snaps the other one with its body. And she goes and disarms the last one and, like, kind of does some kung fu stuff to it. And then she uh, absorbs the 
the worm back into the apple, and she goes and like headbutts the last one. And so she's like, "All right, well, all I need to do is take the uh, the picture frame out of here, and we'll be set." And she looks up the stairs, and there's Bob, the security guard guy. And she's like, "Oh, you weren't supposed to see any of this. Is there any way I can have you just forget it?" And he's like, "Oh my God, crazy worm apple!" And he like starts having a heart attack. <laughs> right. And so she's like, "Oh my God, dragon man!" Yeah. Like, oh my God, you got to be kidding me, right? And then it flashes to this uh, kind of art gallery. And we have this kind of older lady, and she's wheeling and dealing on the phone, and this younger lady that's kind of doing secretary stuff. And she gets a call from Lucifer. Oh, I didn't do the introduction today. Okay. Our, our main character's name is Lucifer. And before, you know, you can kind of try to call her Lucy, she's like, I hate that. And so Lucifer is the way it is. And so, like, the older lady gets this call from her, saying that she's coming in with a package, but she's also got an emergency. And so the older lady's like, all right, well, intern, you have to leave. And the intern lady's like, I'm never going to learn anything if you keep sending me out every time this girl comes in. She's like, well, okay, if you want to stay, but you're going to have to understand, things are going to get weird from here. And so, like, Lucifer comes in, and she's got the painting. She puts it up on this easel, and now we see the empty garden has Bob, the security guard, laying in it. And, of course, like, the intern lady's, like, freaking out, like, oh, my gosh, how do we have this impressionist painting that's been marred with some fat guy in it? And, like, Lucifer's like, oh, you're really going to do this with the intern, right? And the other lady's like, well, kind of got to do what we got to do. And the intern's like, I have a name. So it's obvious the two of them don't get along. Mm. From there, the older lady, like, goes and gets this uh, kind of, like, bungee rope. And Lucifer draws this pattern that's on the frame onto her wrist. And so she's deciding that she's going to uh, try to do some kind of rescue out of the painting. From there, they open the uh, the portal of the painting and she jumps into it. We wind up finding out that evidently the painting itself is some kind of a prison cell. A cell that like a wizard would use to trap their enemy, so that the enemy would have to... Like be confined inside this painting, never to be able to get out. But the owner of the painting would be able to keep them, would be able to see them in their prison. Watch them suffer. And so, like, she jumps into the painting, and she's going to go try to revive Bob. And of course, the intern lady is like freaking out a little bit, and she's like, "I want to start getting paid for this." <laughs> Eventually, Lucifer finds Bob, who's she's used evidently some kind of potion on to like keep him from having the. the like to slow, slow him, slow him slow down. down. He's having a heart attack, and so she she initially asked the older lady if she knew how to do CPR, and she's like, "What? Why?" And she eh, and then about then she busts into the doors. Anyway, yeah, she's whatever she's given him is to slow him down in order to keep him from dying. So she's trying to take him out of the painting, and we start seeing there's somebody else who's in there, like been hiding behind some of the reeds in the picture, and he starts kind of advancing on her. And from there, we go to Gary's Tower, or Gargary's Tower, this other towering building in the middle of the city. And we kind of have these two guys in business suits that are talking to each other from across the room. And um, evidently, there's one with blonde or brown hair and one with black hair. And the one with black hair was evidently the one who contracted the ninja thieves to go right. steal the painting. And he's kind of apologizing to this other person. And the other guy, the guy with brown hair is talking to him but we see this girl who's kind of like wrapped up in this white flowing cloak and like ninja mask kind of 
hanging out, looking out the window. And as she moves, she kind of moves backwards and starts touching him, and we see his eyes start bleeding and his nose start bleeding. And then as we look closer, we see, like, this kind of white film crawling across his skin. And he's basically telling her, telling this guy, you know, how important it was that they get the the picture back and how important it was that whoever's in the picture never get it out. And it seems to me that whoever this woman is, she can't speak in this world. And so she's speaking through this other person. And somehow it's like tearing them up to do so. And the black hair guy's like, oh, well, don't worry about it. We think that this person was just a regular thief and they couldn't possibly know what they stole and we'll just get it back. Well, they do mention they've run into Lucifer before. Like, she's beaten mm-hmm. something before, like, stealing-wise. But maybe she's... I guess it's that she didn't realize what she stole. That's what they said, yeah. And as we kind of pull back from the frame, we see that across the room from this lady in all white, it's just like random mutilated people that have been smashed against the wall and like their bodies are all torn up. So it seems like she must go through hosts. I, I don't know if that's that or if that's the the ninjas. Because Lucifer didn't kill any of the ninjas. And the way they make it sound, uh, it's quite possibly, the, I think it's the ninjas. Wouldn't wouldn't be surprising because there's three of them there's three of the ninja guys. Huh? Yeah. But uh, we go back to Lucifer, and she's trying to get Bob out of the painting, and she's complaining about how heavy he is. And whoever else is in the painting is, like, just, like, elongated hands kind of, like, streaking at her, and he manages to, like, rip her coat off. And she manages to fight her way through and pull Bob with her. Unfortunately, whoever else was in the painting came out with her. And he comes out as a... Uh, I don't know, he's like, kind of like showbiz magician almost. Yeah, full white suit, rose on his chest. Um, he's asking for somebody, and I don't remember who he's asking for. He, he basically thinks that she has been, like Lucifer and her group were put there to guard him, and he's insulted oh, right. that they're not powerful enough to guard him. Because he's, he's looking for his sister, it sounds like, whoever imprisoned him. And so Lucifer calls on the creature inside the apple, the worm, and he just, like, rips it in half with his hands. And he sees the intern lady, and he's like, oh, well, you know, you look like a good soul to eat. And so he, like, sucks out her soul, basically. And Lucifer tries to, like, shove him back into the painting, but he manages to stop her and kind of, like, escapes from the, the room while it's all happening. And so we kind of, we find out with Lucifer and the older lady that you know, this lady without her soul is slowly dying. And so Lucifer, like, runs over and grabs these blood masks from the... I guess it was, like, the Roman blood masks? Yeah, from the Roman century. And basically does a spell to kind of keep her body alive while she tries to hunt for her soul. And in doing so, she needs to go to the Fade, I think it is? I think they call it the Shade. Maybe. Which, I guess, is some type of alternate parallel reality, maybe? Or... I'm not exactly sure what the shade is supposed to be, but it looks like hellfire everywhere. Mm, kind of some dimension between life and death. To get there, she winds, she goes through this uh, full-length mirror, and uh, we find out that if she's going to find the soul, she's going to have to deal with somebody called the harlot. And the harlot evidently deals with all secrets and knows all fates. But the harlot never gives her information for free. And we find out from Lucifer that evidently she's been picked to be the harlot's Successor. Successor. Mm-hmm. So something that she's going to do will eventually cause her to become the new harlot. 
And when she gets there, the harlot's, like, acting all creepy. She's got, like, a bouquet of eyes on sticks. Mm. She's like, ooh, I always love irises. If you take a bouquet of irises with you, it'll help you see more clearly. No one ever sends me flowers. Because you're a creepy old lady, that's why. And so, uh, Lucifer from there is basically, like, going to have to uh, find a way to get the soul back. And in doing so, she's going to have to cross over. So she makes this um, particular signal signal on the floor. And, like, the harlot's basically like, well, I don't know if you should do this, because you might not come back from this. And she kind of starts amusing about it towards the end of, like, well, if she could see all possible futures, why is she worried about this one? But evidently the, uh, the activation for this signal is to kill yourself. And not all deaths will work because she's pretty much protected to not you know, be uh, sent away from the harlots. Um, yeah, she makes, she makes mention that because she's already been selected and cursed or hexed to be the next harlot, harlot that she can't actually die anymore. Until she becomes the harlot, apparently she can't be replaced and she can't be killed by conventional means. At least not die from most things. But, uh, yeah, she winds up straight up slitting her throat, which... Uh, awakens the signal signer that she drew on the ground and the harlot puts her her bouquet of irises on her which are eyeballs on the sticks right. the last thing she says to the harlot is me I'm just better than you and she's like well after she after after she slit her own throat and is laying there on the ground bleeding out activating the signal or the sign on the ground the harlot puts the bouquet down and is like I really hope that you are and that's pretty much where the issue ends. And it's a pretty out of control story. Heck yeah. Crazy. <laughs> so, uh, score wise, man, I don't know. I liked it. I, I don't know. I, I like that crazy occult weirdness. It's like pieces of John Constantine mixed in with, uh, I don't know, a badass Laura Croft type chick. Um, I give it, I give it a three and a half. I thought it was I thought it was fun. I liked the way the snake thing looked, and I don't know. I don't usually, generally speaking, I don't like witchcraft weirdness. But I don't know. This is more like hell spawn weirdness, so I don't know. I liked it. Rob, I'd probably give it a three. It's a good read. I I like what they did with it. I like that she knew the people so well because she like makes a big deal of like wanting to do this without interfering with Bob. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with the rest of the story, but. I don't know. Mr. Mike? I'll give it a two and a half. Just just for the snake thing. So I can see this getting very convoluted. But I'm not that much into witchcraft type stories. Yeah, that's understandable. I, I do like how she's more worried about keeping Bob safe. And when Bob changed his pattern, that's when things got awry in the first place. So had that not happened, we wouldn't even be at the point where she now she's trying to save two people, Bob, and the intern she doesn't even like. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounded like Bob was okay about the end of the issue. But. Yeah, I guess so. That's true because the the paramedics came for him. Miss um, Ross, I'd probably give it a two and a half too. It seems pretty crazy, but guys would throw it in, man. Yeah, it's not my thing though. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Blood and guts. Blood and guts. Curtis? Usually blood and guts is my thing. I know. <laughs> and crazy hellspawn weirdness is my thing. Um, it just didn't come together for me uh, in that issue. It made 
we'll find out more as we go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll give it a two and a half as well. Right. It's hard to get away from that sometimes. So. <laughs> it is a five part, so. And I do know I do like Michael Allen Nelson. I do like his writing. He's done other stuff. I can't off the top of my head. Can't think. Of sure. It. But um, yeah, I'll give it a two and a half. Right. Good stuff. Okay, so let's uh, move on to the uh, assault on Arkham. Okay. Thoughts? There's a movie that animated that just came out. Did you see it? I didn't. Okay. We, we actually left out. We got to see the premiere for it oh, in that's right. San Diego. Um, and it was kind of fun because they had Kevin Conroy and they had um, the new voice of the Joker and they had... I love how I only remember one name now. <laughs> they had other names before I started talking. Had the guy who did Bender. Was it John DiMaggio? John DiMaggio was up there, and of course they had the the lady that's in charge of all the DC voice actors, Andrew Romano. Yeah. Yeah. And they had the two new kind of uh, film directors. They have the regular guy who's the new head of DC Animation, and then they had the guy that's the head of Arkham Asylum Computer Animation that was there for it. That's crazy. So it was actually there was a lot of like cool behind the scenes things that, that we got to learn about the, the story. Um, some of the big ones being that all of the character designs were ran through both the animation department and the Arkham Games people. And so one of the things that actually stood out to me was that this is this is supposed to be built off of the game. So Batman looks like he does in the game, even including the eyes. And so does Harley a little bit. She's got the new design for the Arkham, I guess, Knights story that's going to be the next big Arkham story. Oh, okay. So I was wondering, because she doesn't have the Arkham City look as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, But um, Deadshot is almost completely comic accurate. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get Captain Boomerang, and he hasn't been changed at all. And Deadshot is actually... Pretty much exactly what he was like in the Arkham Origins uh, Blackgate yeah. game, too. Um, King Shark was definitely something that they reworked, and they were really big on like making sure that he looked appropriate for the Arkham Asylum universe. Um, That's interesting. Is yeah. he a hammerhead? No, no. he's more like... Might have be a Killer Croc, actually. He's more of a... Really? He's more like, like a, a person, actually. Killer Croc and that Jaws dude from the old Bond movies. Oh, I think he meant Jaws did. <laughs> but he's actually voiced by John DiMaggio. And, uh... Yeah, they they, they were basically like, well, we didn't think that, you know, having Jabberjaw out there would have worked. I and like the hammerhead. I like yeah. I like the look of it too, and I understand what they were going for. But I think John DiMaggio would actually have done even better if they left him with a hammerhead. Yes. But his voice was great for King for King Shark, and actually, if you haven't seen it yet, I think he does a great job of it. But um, they did have a really cool thing where they had DiMaggio and the guy who does the new Joker voice See, both play off each other and like do a Joker impersonation in the. Uh under the Red Hood, John DiMaggio did the Joker's voice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hmm. I but he doesn't do the Joker in this one? No. No. Yeah. It's the guy who did the um, the Joker for Origins. Arkham Origins. Okay. And yeah. honestly, like, hearing their two connections off each other, I kind of like the new guy better. The new guy is definitely very much a Mark Hamill kind of, I don't want to say impersonator, but he's trying to do the same voice as Mark Hamill. Did. One of the things that was cool about that little interview that we that we got to sit in on was that um, 
we had somebody that, that asked that question, like, do you try to, like, fill the shoes of Mark Hamilton? You know, or Mark Hamill, sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, you know, those shoes are already full. There's no way that you can ever do that. So you have to just kind of take what you can from it and make your own take. And so I think he's a lot closer to Mark than John was. Mm-hmm. But you can see that he does things a little bit differently, and I actually kind of like some of the things he does differently. Because, like, uh, when he did his laugh, because I kind of had, like, a laugh off between the two. When he does his, he kind of, like, runs out of breath a little bit and, like, coughs even a little as additions to his Joker's voice. Hmm. And they talked about stuff that they got in there that they didn't think was going to go. And, like, one of the big, I guess, ablibs for him was when he picks up uh, Black Spider's head and he's like... Oh, Denzel, what did they do to you? <laughs> like, they, he never thought he was going to make it into the film, but... Right. So, um, but it was, it was neat to see those guys together and then talking about that. Um, but, okay, a, as a whole, I, I felt like they did a fantastic job with the film. I, I don't think we'll ever see an animation studio try to do Suicide Squad. And I think this was as close as you'll ever get. And it, it pretty much becomes a Suicide Squad film to me pretty quickly into it. Yeah, I would agree. And Batman gets to come in and be awesome, but it's more their story first. And they actually did, I thought, a great job of making sure you knew that this was the Batman Arkham game version. Not just with the ridiculous eyes on him, which I hate, but you know, whatever. It's Batman <laughs> in the game, he has eyes. But they, they even have him like kind of do some of the things where he's flying up into the rafters and dropping down on top of people, which would have been like total game mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, and their take on having the Joker there and like how dangerous they did the Joker was a fantastic take. Like if there was one thing that I could say they maybe went overboard on was that everybody didn't seem to be hurt as bad as they should have been. <laughs> like if they were getting stabbed that many times, they probably shouldn't be popping up and fighting some more. Well, but did they cover that in the game, the Joker jealousy thing? Oh, Joker... Being jealous of Quinn and Deadshot? Isn't that more of a comic book thing? Um, it's happened recently in the comics, yeah, but I the Joker didn't come back as jealous, because the Joker came back with no face and he doesn't care about anything. Yeah. Comic storyline, there's not anything there for that. Not that I'm more of Not anything recent, but, like, that's kind of how the Joker always used to react. As like, he didn't give a damn about Harley, and then as soon as somebody else did, all of a sudden he cared. And he was going to come at you really hard. Yeah, even though... But that never happened in, like, previous games, or... Mm, You never really had him be without... Yeah, Harley and Joker are really close in all the games. You know, the first game, they're pretty well connected... In the second game, he's totally sick, and so she's always looking out for him. I haven't gotten to play Origin yet. Is she connected to him in the she's Origin? She's not as well? even in Origin, I don't think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think there's Harley Quinzel in the game, if I remember right. Right. But no Harley Quinn. Mm. So, but I I love that he's he's actually like the perfect Joker because he does things just because he does them. Like half mm. the time. Even his revenge doesn't really seem all that well thought out. It's just like he's just doing what he does just for chaos's sake. And I think that that was a great take. So. I'd agree. My, I thought 
overall, I thought it was an okay movie. I, I liked that it was a Suicide Squad thing, and I liked that uh, that's what it was. I mean, it was a good, pretty good Suicide Squad movie. Right. I thought they kind of went overboard with the game stuff and making sure that you knew that it was the game no matter what. That's and true. I thought that that was kind of a little bit out of place. Like, I didn't think need to go quite as far as they did there. Mm-hmm. I also thought, especially in all the recent DC movies, they've been really pushing how much they can do just for the sake of doing it. Yeah, the, the violence level is pretty high in this. And granted, I, I understand that they're villains and the, that violence is there, but like, there's a scene right at the start where she blows off the head of a guy, which, oh, yeah. which you guys liked, but I thought... I. It, it didn't bother me, but I thought, well, you, you didn't really need to do that. Yeah, KG Beast is introduced solely to have his head blow off. Yeah. That's Amanda Waller doing that. Uh-huh. He's not supposed to be a bad guy. And it's the real yes. Amanda Waller. And I, there's no way around it. I, you know, normally I think everybody can agree that, you know, if you put a more attractive look on a character, somehow it makes them better. But Amanda Waller is just such an intimidating figure as this incredibly heavyset black woman with, like, a commanding voice. Mm. And a horrible attitude. Yeah, she just is so indomitable. It's. I agree. And so, like, having her back was was great. You know, and nothing to be bad about the new generation of Amanda Waller, but I just never, I never see her and be like, oh, everything's going to go bad. Like yeah. I did when when old Amanda Waller would show up. I agree, but I do love the end of it, at the very tail end of it, and how they own, you know they kind of got that last little thing in there because you know yeah. Bruce comes in and like is demanding all sorts of stuff from her, and she's just like whatever, you you know it's not night anymore, you're not important. I'm the law during the day. Yeah, and then we get the the last little bit. And there was an, an extra little joke in there, so people when they watch that the building she's in is Nakatomi Plaza from Die Hard. Right. Oh, that's cool. I didn't recognize that at all. No, until until they talked about it, and we didn't either. It was evidently the game designer guy that was with them was like, "Oh yeah, my dad had something to do with the Die Hard movies, so it's always been important to him." So I snuck the Nakatomi Plaza in there at the end of it. Yeah. Upon knowing that's what it is, it's yeah, it, it, it is. Oh, no, I I I liked it too. I guess and, and I'll give you that the, there was a little the, the violence level is a little high, especially if you're talking about for the kids. Uh, I mean, there's a few heads to blow up. That's true. There's some uh, there's some sexy time with Harley Quinn and the uh, and uh, the mustache. I thought that was completely unnecessary too. Oh, Roth is the best freaking part, man. Yeah, I know. It didn't awesome. need to be there at all. She had to trick him into willing to do things for her. And the only best way she can do that is to be Dirty Girl. Oh. Yahtzee. <laughs> I, I think they probably used Yahtzee a little too much with Harley, but honestly, yeah. like, it was a little cringeworthy at first, but I got used to it. Yeah. I know, I liked it. I, I thought it was, I thought it was good. I liked how color Frost was, too, but I mean, I just like sexy cartoon ladies. That's probably my problem. Good stuff. I thought Killer Frost was a nice new addition. Once again, she's another one that they really didn't Arkham Asylum up. No, not really. She's she's just basically like straight out of the comics. Pretty close, yeah. So, yeah. I would have preferred King Shark be straight out of the comics. But. I would have, too. I understand what they were going for, but I, I would have liked him better that way, too. I, I was less bothered with some of the violence in this than I was with like Justice League. 
Yeah. Because this is the Arkham Asylum world, and it's really not the continuing DC universe. That's no, it's, true. It's a lot. It's really uh, dark, gritty. Yeah, it's a little bit more gritty. Messy. Mm-hmm. The, the animation style is really a well, lot different. I, honestly, like with it being so connected to the game, I kind of didn't expect it to be as good as it was. So I was actually really impressed. That was pretty good. Do you want to score it? Is that how we do this thing? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I don't know for movies, do we do that? All right, Rob, Might as well. score, Rob, go. Uh, I was actually really, really happy with it. I'll give it a 4.5. All right. Mike? I'll give it a 4. Ross? Give it a 2.5. Ross, right. <laughs> well, Ross would have given it a higher score if he would have stuck around and seen the trailer for the upcoming Throne of Planets. We're not grading trailers, Mike. <laughs> yeah, but he, he would just, it would alter what he thought. I, I would have, well, no. <laughs> I would I would have given it a higher score, though, if King Shark had been a shark. Okay, all right. <laughs> but it would have looked like Jabba Jaw. <laughs> yep. Jabba Jaw. If he would have done that, it would have even gotten higher one. <laughs> I, I know his direction to aim. <laughs> Curtis? Uh, uh, three spicy chicken burritos. That's what I like. <laughs> That's what I like. Just, um, I, I give it a four also. Four and a half even. Like, I, I liked it a lot. But, you know, I don't know. You're easily pleased. That's I, not totally true, man. One thing I thought was really funny about this is they had Kevin Conroy come back to be Batman and he wasn't in it very much. <laughs> no. It really, yeah, it really is a Suicide Squad movie. Yeah. This is Batman for the sake of people getting to watch it. Yeah, it's just funny who all the things have him come back for. Right. You bring him back for the thing that he's not in very much. Right. Yeah. But it's true. Hey, you know, honestly, like, Kevin's voice is so good for Batman. Yeah. I, honestly, like, during the whole Batman Dark Knight stuff, I would have much rather had Kevin Conroy's voice, to tell you the truth, because it, it was really hard for me to accept Robocop's voice. Like, I just wasn't right in oh, my yeah. head at all. No, I I totally agree. You know, I, I know they wanted to go with a more grizzled voice, but uh, I think it was a wrong choice. Yeah, no, I... Kevin, yeah, he's my favorite, obviously. But I just think it's hilarious that of all the things to bring him back for, you bring him back for the movie that he's not in very much. Mm, that's true. But I guess I, I can't say that. He was, he's going to be in Arkham Knight, the game, mm-hmm. too. Well, so yeah. he might just be... He might have just taken a break from Batman and be back being pretty much the main Batman again. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I think they just wanted to do a different voice for a couple of the stories. Anyway. Yeah, probably. Because Kevin seems to be like, yeah, I'm Batman, and that's just how it is. Yeah. I'm cool with that. The weird one for me was the, the Criminal Minds guy there for the voice of the Riddler. Oh, right. Because they were really kind of like, oh my gosh, it's a big deal, and like the Riddler wasn't in there very much either. <laughs> You know, I didn't even notice. I thought it was the same voice from the games. He is, but oh, the Criminal gotcha. Minds guy is the same voice as they do in the game. Yeah. I see. I'll give you, the movie did make me want to play Arkham City again. Okay, so that's a win. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we do have a, a, a question that was sent in uh, from Michael, or Mike. Uh, not for Mike, from a Mike, a different Mike. It's okay, it can be for Mike, too. Okay, yeah, why not? Okay, so, uh, we'll do this and we'll play an interview. I think that we have Roberto Ramos this time. Sweet. All right. Okay, so, question reads, hello. Hi. What's up? In the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, they say that Thanos is the most powerful being in the universe. For those of you listening, that if you have not watched Guardians of the Galaxy, 
I skipped to the energy part. Uh, I don't know if this will ruin anything. Probably not. So. Anyway, okay, so in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, they say that Thanos is the most powerful being in the universe. Is this really true? Question mark. The powerful... More, more powerful than Galactus? Question mark. I don't need to say question mark. More powerful than Galactus. <laughs> Eternity. Living Tribunal. So, the, the question is, is it true that Thanos is the most powerful thing in the galaxy when there's all these other things out there? I, it, good question. I think uh, the real answer for this is that we're dealing with movie universe versus comic book universe, which are two different things. And we'll never see Galactus. This is true. Galactus. Yeah, at this point, unless the... Even if the Fantastic Four movie tanks, like, horribly bad, at this point I don't think Fox cares. I think it's more a matter of they want a giant paycheck for the, for the franchise back. Which, being it's the only one they held on to, I can understand that. The main thing you got to remember with the movies is that they're not all the same universe, unfortunately. Um, you got the Fox side, which does X-Men and Fantastic Four. Then you have Sony, which is doing Spider-Man. Um, and then the rest of the movies, like your Cap, your Thor, your Iron Man, your uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, um, your Avengers. And at this point, Hulk. And then the Netflix shows are all Marvel Studios. But prior to any of that happening, Marvel sold a bunch of their movie rights to other companies because they weren't doing their own movies. So, like, all the earlier movies, like your Punishers, even the good ones, uh, weren't made by Marvel Studios. And at this point, the way the lines are drawn between companies and franchises is so kind of convoluted that not everything's the same universe. That's how we wind up with two different Quicksilvers and how in X-Men you can't say that they were ever Avengers and you can't use Wanda's name... But in Avengers, you can use both of them, but not call them mutants. And you can't say they're Magneto's kids, because the lines are just so messy. It's kind of like a Marvel DC thing. Kind of, yeah. That's it, it, true. That, that really is. That's, a, that's the best way to describe it. A, a nice thing that is happening, though, is Marvel is changing its logo on its Marvel Studios films. So, starting with Captain America 3, I believe was the first one I saw it on, they've changed that opening logo. So when you see X-Men or Spider-Man, it'll have the old Marvel come up with the flipping pages. And then starting with Cap 3, you'll see the new logo, which is similar but a little bit different. So I don't know if that'll actually help anybody or not. But it doesn't say Marvel, so I don't think well, it makes this question just based off the movie universe or in general? I, I think it, we can go with it both ways. Yeah. I think generally it was written in a format that it's, it's questioning the movie-verse or just the, the fact in general about Thanos. Um, which, for movie world, at this point, I would have to go with, in the Marvel Studios world, it's quite possible he's the most powerful. I mean, we have seen a Celestial. But, but, and we, but we haven't seen Thanos do anything. Exactly. But we have seen a Celestial take out a planet. Pretty much, yeah. But they were also using a gem. And we've seen... It, the difference between the gems and no gems, uh, as far as being without gems, I mean, it's possible he's the most powerful. But we haven't really had anything to compare him to, like mm-hmm. you said. And he sat in a chair and been awesome. I I highly doubt that he's the most powerful thing in the Marvel Universe. You know, I mean, let, let's take the uh, example of Dragon Ball Z, all right? Okay. Every time there was a big villain, he was the most powerful thing in the universe until we found, oh, there was another guy that was the most powerful thing in the universe. I think that they kind of play that up a little bit in this story because nobody really has seen somebody stronger. You know, the idea of the uh, Celestials 
are they're, they're so mind-boggling that, like, most people can't even wrap their head around them, so they don't even include them in the thought of, like, what would be the most powerful thing in the universe. Um, but I think mostly, like, he's kind of, like, basking in the idea that everybody thinks he's that powerful. So, my, my guess is that he's, he's very strong, but nowhere near the most powerful thing in the, in the Marvel U. For the movies. Even in the movie universe, I think. Okay. Okay, I can go with that. I do think a lot of people have questions about Thanos because he's he's kind of a difficult character to know anything about. Mm-hmm. He's not exactly the most well-used or well-versed Marvel hero, or villain, I'm sorry. Um, so there's actually been some great new stories about Thanos that might help new readers into it, or people that are just trying to get the inside scoop of Thanos. So, like, Thanos Rising, awesome, yeah, uh, we will have something coming out later this year. It's going to be another Thanos-centric well, story. They have that uh, original graphic novel, the OGN, mm. uh, by Jim Starlin. Yeah. And, like, I, I haven't read that. Um, uh, and? Is it awesome? Is it okay? It's okay. It's okay. It can it's, be okay. No, it's okay. It's. I don't yeah. know. It's It's a convoluted story. Mm. So, uh, if you were trying to just get a download on Thanos, would you suggest... No, because... No, Rising, because this one takes place right after kind of all his other work that he did with Thanos and through Warlock and all that. So, he just continued doing books for him instead of moving on or else he worked on it. It references references stuff that's happening in the Marvel Universe, but it seems like it runs parallel to it. Mm, Okay. Uh, The other one is, of course, the Infinity Gauntlet, which is going to be big for, for Marvel stuff, but, you know, remember, the Marvel Universe and the Marvel Movie Universe are totally, they're different things. They're not totally different, but they're going to be different. So you can't expect to have the same things work both work in both series. Most, most of the badass stuff that we see from Thanos is him with the Infinity Gauntlet. Yes. When he doesn't have it, he's not, he doesn't seem that powerful at all. He's, he's pretty darn powerful. He's powerful enough to fight the Hulk. But the Hulk is well, a not, a not good not. measuring stick. I'm oh, just yeah. saying that he's not as powerful without the gauntlet. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. He doesn't have that fear that, that, fear that no. the oh, yeah. gauntlet gives him. Yeah, the gauntlet, the gauntlet makes him crazy. But, you know, I, unfortunately, Thanos is kind of... He's a little bit like Shaft. He's a complicated man. No one understands him but you his stop. woman. You stop. <laughs> Death. Oh, man. <laughs> So yeah, Thanos Origin uh, or Thanos Rising, great source for for finding out about Thanos. Um, in the Marvel universe proper, he is not the most powerful. No, he's he's good. He's very strong, but he's definitely not the top end. In in the film universe, I think will be proven that he's not the top end either. But he's definitely a huge threat to the movie. U. at this point, based on what we've seen, I'd have to say just based on what we've seen in the Marvel U. Currently, I'd say he's the strongest because we haven't seen anything stronger. And granted, he hasn't been showcased to show it, so I guess it could be like a facade. I mean, Wizard of Oz. He's definitely the biggest person that we've seen. He's definitely the biggest. That's true. So, at this point, I would go with a Marvel Universe, Marvel Studios Universe. Yes, Um, comic book universe. No, not at all. Not by far. Crazy theory about movie universe now. Now that Rob mentioned the Dragon Ball Z, like right, Freeze is the most powerful universe. I think I think we're gonna build up Thanos so much (laughs) until that movie comes out, and then he'll just yeah, it'll be a tough battle, but then there'll just be someone right after him that's like 
way, way, way more powerful than he is. Yeah, I think so. that'll be their big, like, shock and awe thing. Is right. Well, you thought Thanos was a B.A. Yeah. Well, look over here at this guy. Yeah. Well, the, the whole problem, 90, 99% of the good versus evil stuff is the good old, the evil always loses. So you go into mind frame thing and, oh, he's going to be beat anyway. But it's just the journey to get there and how they have to be. It'll be interesting to see what they do because they, they definitely don't want their universe to end at three mm-hmm. if they can and keep it going. And having, I mean, you can't do one movie with just Thanos and show everything of Thanos and how he comes to power and all that. So it's going to take so. it's going to take more than one movie to get that brought up. Yeah, I think as what what we're kind of hearing now, and of course, you know, until they get further along, this is not set in stone. But it sounds like after Avengers two, most of the films that are going to come out are going to be related to the Infinity Gems. So building Thanos' legend, I was just really glad to actually see an Infinity Gem, mm-hmm. and it not be, you know, the Tesseract or the um, primeval or whatever it was in the ether. The ether. Yeah. You know, that it's actually one of the jewels. Loki's staff, which kind of had a jewel at the end. It's possible that that is that's what an infinity gauntlet. That's what they're saying jewel. it is. But, you know, Thanos usually isn't alone either. He's like, he plays, he likes to play chess. This is so true. Speaking, he's yeah, got his generals. Back in the old days, he did. He's got his generals, that's, that's, and he's got, you know. That proves true kind of in the original graphic novel. Does it? Yeah. Okay. He kind of relies on... Uh, he even meets the Living Tribunal, which is where that question comes from. Oh, right, right, yeah. The Living Tribunal, to me, is like the Watcher, but has more power, but doesn't use it. That's how I feel about it. It's kind of like an infinity. Yeah. He had all of his... It's a big... And they were pretty... He's a celestial. They were pretty crazy characters, too, in their own right, the, his mm-hmm. people and... Oh, yeah. His, his lieutenants in the... Uh, in the story of the Infinity story, yeah. like uh, Proxima Midnight and the right. Ebony Ma and the all those super guys. Giant. Right. I forgot he was in that. Well, he, it wasn't his story. He right. kind of just like snuck in on the back yeah. and was like, he was kind of just directing in the background. That was just kind of to showcase his son, too, it seemed. Honestly, you know what? If we could have just gotten rid of the Guardians or the, the crater guys mm-hmm. and they'd just been Thanos, it would have been a better story, mm-hmm. I think. Because honestly, for me, like it became all about him at the end. And it started slow. Yeah, that too. Builders. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I mean, here's Cap off on the planet raising A's and stuff, and like, yeah, we we're winning the war. And I'm like, I don't care. I just want to see Thanos. <laughs> yeah, that's when uh, Thor threw his hammer through that alien mm-hmm. and freaking ran awesome. Ronan crushed that other alien's head. Which was great until yeah we get back to Earth and we're having Black Bolt fight Thanos, and it's like, oh man, that's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that thing had a lot of high points in it. Oh, the infinity. If, if they would have turned into two different stories, then maybe it would have been. I think that would probably have been a better call. But maybe. I I think they had a wider scope for their space stuff that they wanted to do because the whole idea for Thanos attacking during Infinity was that the Spartak and the rest of the Council of Space People were like, hands off of Earth, screw with Earth, and everything falls apart. So just <laughs> leave it alone. And Thanos was like. Yeah, you told me not to, so I gotta go poke Earth. <laughs> but it also ties into the Thanos Rising storyline as well, so... Right, yeah. Yeah, I, hopefully that answers the question. I, I, so I assume it did. Well, Ross, you, you had your point, right? I don't... Curtis, did you... No, what? Have you, have you laid down what you think about this? Kind of. The Infinity Gem Thanos... Maybe the strongest one in the universe. I would I would probably agree with that. But without the Infinity Gauntlet, I think it's Galactus. 
But like I said, they all get beat eventually. Well, yeah, and comic world. I mean, then you got the Beyonder, and yeah. I mean, as far as like setting Stranger, your, right? Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. I have all things. <laughs> Howard will make your eyes bleed with his cigar smoke. Imagine if he had an infinity gauntlet. That would be <laughs> awesome. it on his tail. Oh, my God. Does that happen <laughs> in a clicks game yet? Because if not, <laughs> It could. It could. Howard the Duck could have an infinity gauntlet. I'd imagine he wouldn't have it very long, though. It doesn't matter. The fact he had it at all is awesome. You never can get that bird smell out of it. Never. You can wash it all day. <laughs> Never getting out of it. Is it like the stinky pretzel? I would assume <laughs> very similar, but more ducky, <laughs> if, if that. Yeah, as far as Comic World is concerned, uh, like you said, I mean, the builders, they were super powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, most powerful, apparently not. Yeah, but Blackers, that was a group. It doesn't matter. No. So was so the uh, council. No, that's a group. All right. He's talking about individuals. Okay. They were pretty darn powerful. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But we, we actually, like you were saying before, half the pieces are removed from the board. We have no Galactus. We have no Silver Surfer. In the movie world, We yes. have no Apocalypse. We have, you know... A, no Onslaught. Yeah, we've taken a, a good deal of the real powerful pieces off the board that we can't even use. Now, that they introduced the Celestial at all in Guardians, holy cow, that was amazing, I thought. And they look fantastic. But they did, a, they, 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 did they call it a celestial? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they did. They did. They? Okay. So, like, to me, Thanos is like a, a gnat to a celestial. But the celestials are also, like, billions of years old, and they do whatever they're going to do. So right. there's no celestial grudge matches that are going on. And you had in that Uncanny Avengers story, somebody killed a celestial. Yeah. In fact, it was one. And you never see him as much as you do these other characters. No, not at all. So you well, kind of forget uh, what's about that him. dude's name. Uh, he was one of the Apocalypse twins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, comic book world versus movie world. Right. Two different things. Well, right. Seth's story was convoluted too. Yeah. Well, yeah. Basically, all it was was uh, Kane tricked Thor into making Jawbone mm-hmm. enchanted enough to actually damage a little celestial. Mm-hmm. And it was a big mess. And now he's going to be running around with the axe, anyways. Yeah. Awesome. That was awesome. But wild. it was a pretty big mess. <laughs> so comic book world, I think it's Galactus. Movie world, probably. Uh, Thanos, <laughs> from what we've seen. We haven't right. seen him do anything. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Ronan was the strongest to this point, hmm? I believe. But he does stare down Ronan. Mm-hmm. Of course, though, he might have just been staring him down on his throne. Let me, let me, let me prep. Ronan, when he had the gem, was yeah. the strongest okay. up to this point. I can believe that, yeah. So... Because he was about to kill Xandar. Right. And he could have, from what we've seen from the other Celestial. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yes, he was the strongest. Thanos should be the strongest. And when that happens, God, it's going to be glorious. Because <laughs> I love Jim Starler. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I hope that it'll lead up to it. But, you know, like, like I said before, Avengers, if Avengers didn't succeed, it would be the biggest mark for failure, like in film history. Yeah. Because everything was tied to making the Avengers. That's going to go through. And so I think that Avengers 3 is going to be another hallmark like that. And it's amazing to think like that a franchise could have two points where it has to succeed. <laughs> well, in, in my mind, it's like, okay, the Avengers maybe fail for whatever reason. Um, it's not a world-conquering thing from Thanos. And then they have to rebuild and go back, and he comes back or something like it's that. It's quite possible. I mean, even the Infinity Gauntlet, it's not the Avengers mm-hmm. or the X-Men or any of the characters that actually stop him. 
it's Adam Warlock. Mm-hmm. And then he basically comes up with his own solution to how to fix the situation. And we've seen maybe some snippets of him, his cocoon in the movie. To the background behind the Howard the Duck stuff. Oh, man. That one is open. Wasn't it in uh, another open. movie, too? In, it was it, in Thor's into yeah, yeah, when they go to see the collector. Yeah, they pass it. I don't think I've seen that one yet. Son of a... You didn't see Thor? Um, I saw the they, first Thor. They took him lollipops. Oh, wow. Not that um, thing, but that's not what happens. Oh, I don't care. You can tell me what happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is this is actually in scene stuff anyway, so it's not really ruining the movie. Not really. <laughs> it's all it's all catches. <laughs> they they made a connection to the collector before the Guardians film. Gotcha. So this is the same actor and everything. Yep. That's Benicio cool. del Toro. <laughs> That's the guy. Which was an interesting choice for the collector, honestly. Run, cool. Runny mascara, Ronan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that guy is amazing. weren't you telling me he was like six three? Yeah. And they they modulated his voice, okay. so that wasn't his real voice. But I thought it was because I don't know Lee Pace from anybody, right. but evidently he played Thrundil or whatever his name from yeah, the he's, Hobbit. He's the oh, uh, right. stick antler. Elf. Yeah. Yeah. In the Hobbit, and I don't remember what he sounded like, so wow. I had no idea. They, that looks that's crazy. But he's not built like the suit was. He's actually a really thin dude, and the suit beefs him up. Well, a little bit. So. But his whole weird naked ritual. That wasn't him. Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. I've seen pictures of this guy naked. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, with that... <laughs> well, Pratt got really built for this movie, yes, too. He though, so. But he slimmed down. This guy would have had to beef up. Okay. And I don't think he's that big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, as, as far as I'm concerned, like, what are you laughing about? Guardians though was an incredible, incredible film. Yeah, that one was my all-time favorite Marvel movie. I, I think it's, I think it's Same the one here. I really do. Sorry. Like, I, I thought every aspect of it was really good, and I even as a, as as big of a, you know, browbeating comic guy as as you know we can be, I couldn't find a whole lot of fault with it that I was that upset with. Mm-hmm. I have heard some people, but I, I thought it was. I thought they did a great job. My, so. my big liking of it was no Tony Stark, no Iron Man, because I hate that guy. <laughs> not Iron Man. Not, not Robert Downey Jr. Right. I, I hate freaking Iron Man, and I hate Tony Stark. There's there's little places. I Ultimately, I liked the movie enough that I've seen it three he times did, in the first weekend. He did so. serve a purpose in the Guardians' comp. Well, yeah, to be Rocket Raccoon's... Punch in the bag? Punch yeah. in the bag. Awesome. Which was awesome. Which I enjoyed. Yes. Thoroughly. But when it was done... Get the hell out. Right. Yeah. Which you did. I don't understand the hate for Iron Man, but whatever. It's all good. I just prefer not to like that guy. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's a pompous dick face. Well, so is Namor. Yeah. Well, he's, we haven't even seen him either. But he'll be in a Fox film, so nobody will ever see it. Yeah, yeah who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, he, if he's going to show up next, he's going to show up in the new Fantastic Four. So. Huh. Take that, Namor. Unless it's true. Samuel L. Jackson. As Namor? As Namor, <laughs> I won't watch it. <laughs> if it was Samuel L. Jackson, I would see that too. I would watch that. Yeah. Oh you better get these Mr. Falcon fish out of this Mr. Falcon ocean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sue Storm, get over here. <laughs> what are you doing with that giant ass turkey Reed Richards? <laughs> That'd be awesome. I, I would, would be awesome. Him. I would totally watch. I would do. Once once you go Atlantean. <laughs> you never go searching. Oh my god. Uh, well, there's a couple of reviews. <laughs> Take that, everyone. <laughs> and, but, and 
Fox people are listening, hey, I figured out a way to get people to watch your movie. <laughs> it's going to be controversial. It's not going to be like... Wait, wouldn't it be the first time. Yeah. It'll be Shaft underwater. <laughs> it's enough talk about Shaft. Can you dig it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, so it's going... Oh, God. I need to lead in to Humberto Ramos. Good job. Everybody. He's, he's amazing. He's Spider-Man. He's been uh, the shepherd of Spider-Man for a long time. And right. We talked uh, a little bit about another series that if you didn't already check out, keep an eye out for it out on, out on the shelves or uh, I guess now in, in backstock stuff, which is the, um, oh gosh, his, his fable story. God, what was that? Fairy Quest. Know? Fairy Quest, yes. With, which, with Paul Jenkins. It was a, a fantastic book. And... Um, we talked about it a little bit, I believe, in the interview. Yeah, we do. Uh-huh. And uh, I was, it was really a neat, neat thing. The second part of that is coming out soon. So I went into that, uh, what does it do? What, interview? Mm-hmm. Not, I don't really like Humberto Ramos's art. Yeah. But going into it, so I like the guy a lot better. <laughs> I mean, I like his art, but I like the guy a lot better. He seems genuine down to earth. He is. He is. We'll have the pitchforks for you later. It's all right. I'll How dare you not like some something? <laughs> Very yeah. humble guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what kind of endears you to him. For sure. Um, yeah, I just have reasons why I don't like his art. One of them being right. when he drew Spider Woman on ABX, it was ridiculous looking. <laughs> but I, he's a good dude. Well, I like this. Well, you can tell the guy's paid his dues. Yeah. And he appreciates everything he has. Mm-hmm. And he works right. for he works for everything he has. Well, yeah, he, he's definitely a cool guy. I mean, I saw him out in San Diego again for a couple minutes. And it was generally no different. It was almost like nothing passed time wise between one and two, and like I don't know, better part of four weeks. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, yeah, I'm impressed with it. It's cool. It's hard to forget a terrorist beard. Are you talking about mine? <laughs> I don't remember him having one. So. No, I he did. Yeah. The shoe fits. There's a question about. Here, here's the interview. Effort and invest much to really learn how to, 
I draw comic books instead of just, you know, drawing me because I like, I like drawing. You've been here before the Hulk, we're talking about Ghost Rider, Wolverine, yeah. Hulk, and Spider Man. Like, honestly, that was one of the most exciting, just like cover books. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. Being only two inches, that's really great. Yeah, what's up, two inches? Three. Two? Two? Down in Mexico. We didn't have, uh, you know, this uh, comic book stores thing okay. happening, so there's. There was, well, there's the, 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 the restaurants, this big restaurant that they, aside the restaurant, they have a, like a, a magazine uh, store so you can buy, you know, like a, like an up in Austin News that you can, oh, you know, okay. can sell. Yeah. It's attached to restaurants. Okay. So they, they, they happen to, to grab uh, comic books as well, but they were, they were really into, they just—I believe they just go to the, uh, you know, whatever they they take the words you were buying. Yeah, yeah. And it's out. So there, there wasn't any logic to what they were. Yeah, right. No, I understand how that but goes. But they happened to, to to bring those those or books and uh, you know back to back. So that was really awesome. Well, that was awesome. Well, I, I guess that actually covers our next one because we were wondering if you if you read comics when you were growing up. When when you were growing up reading comics, you said you did a lot of, of art. Did you ever like come up with your own characters that you wanted to do a stories with, or was no, it just? No, you know, I'm really I'm really bad at it. I mean, because I, I, <laughs> I, I know a lot of people now that I've, you know people now come to me and they show me their books and they share you know their uh, like their own creations or whatever. You know, and most of them, they have their own characters already. Yeah. It never occurred to me that, that I could do that. I I don't remember drawing a, a comic book page, meaning the story, storytelling. Yeah. Until uh, I was from the early 20s when I, when I decided to take it real jump. Okay. Before that, it was like like everybody else, you know, like drunk and you know, Yeah. Just because of, you know, for the joy of So, what was the first, as far as like your own book, your own character, what was the first one? Was printing the first thing? Yes. Yeah. I, was, I was talking about my bad friend's character. It came out from, uh, you know, cool stories or stories come from uh, from really you know common places mm -hmm. and there was this kid yesterday you know talking to me back in the art side and he asked me where my inspiration came from and I was like you know it's not really it's not really about being inspired because I get a flaw I get a script when I draw a card so it's it's not that I have to be inspired, I just kind of, you know, when I relate to the album, it's wrong, right? It's like, well, but when I have to create my own stories, like Princeton, Great Quest, and uh, out there and that, Revelation, then it's when I, when I, you know, I find a time inspiration. So I, I explain, like, this is like an example of 
know, have you ever read Breakwith? Like, yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, this is a real simple story based on something that you've read before. But the real thing, you know, if, if I have, if I have to pitch uh, a request to somebody, I would say, and, I, and then I make a call to them. Have you ever seen the Warriors movie? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Well, that's very cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love the Warriors, you know? I, I, I watched the movie when I was a kid, yeah. and I was love it. So, Warriors is... Uh, a little red riding to it and we'll feed the water and try to get back to the honey island. That's not it. That's a simple step. You know, then, you know, you uh, dress it up, you know, with, uh, with different stuff and try to make it uh, sound. But bottom line, that's, that's how it is. And that's where I get inspired. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, we were asked to turn up. We were talking about the night. We were asked to turn up. 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 It's a tricky uh, job because um, when I first created Breakfast uh, uh, at home, we had a uh, clear schedule to finish the book. And it's supposed to be a, a, an eight issues. But then uh, we sold it to a French publisher, and they uh, kind of, you know, started to trick us, per se. Hmm. And we pulled it out from, from there, from them. But people knew about the book already. Right. So uh, I felt a, a commitment to the people who knew about the book. Yeah. And I put the book out myself. You know, I did a little and people like the that one, so uh, we start having uh, publishers coming up and about the book, like Google. And it's like, okay, the story still goes, but I don't have the time to do this with it anymore. Because I, my, my commitment with uh, Spider-Man is, it does fall off if and I, I, I used to do that book right now. So it's been a, a bit of struggle to so second book. Right. Uh, I'm almost there. <laughs> and uh, I've been telling people, like, yeah, we're going to be out by San Diego, but I, I'm not going to have to Because San Diego is in like, And I'm, I'm short for 50 pages. Of a 48 page spread. Right. So it's like, more than half. Yeah. More. But it's, uh, so, so uh, I'm, I'm the first uh, guy interested in finishing the book. And I understand the frustration that comes with somebody promising you something that is isn't happening because I was, in the, you know, like yeah. everybody else, so, you know, remember about chasing <laughs> I was there already. I've been there already, right? So uh, I know what people uh, are feeling now. So I, I, I'm aware of it, and I'm trying the best I can to push through this. It's unfortunate, but it's surprising how often that comes up. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that yesterday. I was, yeah, 
will take um, soccer ball because go. I like I like soccer very much, and it's a good way to to, to enjoy time with family. Um, gee, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't need that many things. Maybe, well, my, my, my dogs, I have, I have three dogs. It's a good choice. Um, yeah, they're good choice. Yeah. Uh, some tools, maybe. Right. Yeah, I have. And, uh, and one of those, uh, uh, how to survive in a desert island by <laughs> That, that, that was a great. That was really yeah. That's an idea for one of your 48 pages. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. A guy to survive. That's a good idea. I would have never thought of that. Okay, we got one more. Sure. Okay, so if you lived in a fantasy land, would you ride a chocolate pony? No. Because I would melt, right? Because I hate funny. No, it's good idea. For girls. I got the horse. I got the horse. Same idea. It depends on the, on the weather. Thank you, guys. Alright. Yeah, coming back in with something better than that. That's all I got. Anyway, flip it, flip it, flip it. Yak, yak, All that, no good. Uh, all good hell. So that is Humberto. Sweet, sweet Christmas. <laughs> sweet, sweet Christmas. All right. So I like. Okay, some books to watch. Roscoe. Batman and Robin. Think <laughs> <laughs> always. Um. I agree. I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. There will be a Robin. Whoever it is, it's going to happen. I'm really curious about what multiversity is going to be like, too. Okay. Well, as much as I'm not a huge Grant Morrison fan, I, I feel like it's, it's mainly for personal reasons. But hopefully I can enjoy the story otherwise. Blue Beetle? I, I feel like he's earned like, the distrust <laughs> myself, but yeah. that's okay. Grant Morrison's got the keys to the DC universe. He's created these 52 other universes. It's amazing to me that DC has allowed this right. without him being higher up in a company. You know what? He's just working for no, money That's a good right point, now. yeah. So He's not... That, hiring a fuck... Go ahead. Oh, I, <laughs> I think I talked about this last time, but they had the crazy picture of, like, the higher-ups at DC, and it was Jim Lee, Jeff Johns... Uh, Scott Snyder, yeah, him, and uh, Grant Morrison. <laughs> like Grant Morrison isn't even like a strict DC. He's back there looking like the old school red faced devil. Let's see what not. Little horns, and the oh, he's, he's a little off. Yeah, but I think that's actually what makes Multiversity a good choice for him. Is that he's he's actually really good at coming up with stuff that doesn't necessarily fit in anything. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why he is a good choice. And maybe DC is just going to give him that little slice. Hmm? 
be like, you stay out of this universe because you screwed it up last time. <laughs> we'll, we'll you get, you get these all the other universes. Yeah, you get these 51 other places that you can screw up. <laughs> as long as you don't try to turn Mistleplick into a hero again, you're fine. And I know. I know. Hey, Joe Army. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> oh, hey. That would have been the... That would have been the Flintstones. <laughs> the Great Kazoo. Essentially the same character. Pretty close. That's they both have giant heads. That's Earth 43. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Flintstones. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, Mike, what's the watch? I'm waiting for the end of Wild Blue Yonder. It would be awesome. Yeah, wait. Yes, wait. <laughs> um, Skyward's been good. Guardians. Amazing Spider-Man. Batman, the usual, uh, usual suspects. What about oh, Black Science? Man? Yes, Black Science. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and Deadly Class. I'm done. <laughs> All right, Curtis. Uh, Neil Remender book Tokyo Ghost with uh, Murphy, Sean Murphy. Um, Kurt Busick's writing a new book called uh, Tooth and Claw. Um, coming out from Image, it's going to be good. Uh, Benjamin Dewey's going to be doing the art. Um, witches. It's not that. No witches. <laughs> There's two on uh, Kickstarter going right now. One's called Scorriers. It's about a post-apocalyptic world where humans have died off. And now there's uh, tribes of animals trying to fight for supremacy. Um, on the cover, it's awesome. The art is incredible. Um, what's it called? Tooth and nail, tooth and claw. I think it's tooth and claw. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Support that. Um, there's another one on there called uh, Deuces Wild. That's a sci-fi. Um, it's a group of like anthropomorphic animals again. There's like a, uh, a skunk that's a leader, a uh, ferret, uh, like a owl-looking dude, and a robot. That's cool. Yeah, and they're after this rogue, and they're uh, bounty hunters. So. Um, Look, look for that. It looks pretty cool. Again, it's Deuces Wild. And uh, I think that's all on my B- BS I have. <laughs> yeah. Kickstarter is good. There's some good stuff on there right now. I, d- I don't know why, but I just listed a bunch of animal books. I, I love animals, I guess. <laughs> good job. Okay. Yeah, Squir- Squirrel Warriors? It, it does look awesome. It looks yeah, fantastic. It does look really good. Oh my gosh. Rob? Um, they're going to be doing a huge crossover with the Green Lantern Corps, and it looks like it's going to be fantastic. I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what it's going to be. It's um, somebody, who, somebody who's binding all the Seven Rings. The Godhead? Yeah. yeah. So should be really, really neat. Hopefully this will be a nice new like big arc after the Jeff Johns time on the story, so hopefully it'll be a really neat new new place for the Green Lantern to go. Um, keep your support up for New Warriors. I think it's actually a fantastic series, so you know, and it's not an Avengers title, so <laughs> help some of these other titles exist. That'd be great. Uh, Midnight Tiger and The Stray are both books to keep an eye out for. I think that Action Lab is going to be huge. I think they're going to make it a dynamite new superhero world, and it's totally worth checking out. So. And the creators are genuine, genuine people. Yeah, they are. They're really cool guys, actually. Um, let's see. So I would, I still like Cal, 
I say if you haven't given it a chance to try it out, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good set of 50 Noir style like superhero stuff going on. I've liked it so far. It's been pretty fun. Um, uh, I think Remender's got a new one come out. The the Roach or Roach Roach Limit. Roach. I don't think that's Remender. It's not. Who's who's doing that? Is Uh, it now? Tim Daniel. Is it Tim Daniel? I think so. Really? Yeah, I don't remember who's doing it. Anyway, it looks awesome. And then Copperhead. Yes. uh, Looks awesome too. From Image, both yeah. both those look great. I guess, I think Copperhead probably maybe the stronger of the two, but they, they both look like awesome books. Look like they'd be fun. Well, I think you get what the story's going to be about from Copperhead from the cover, right? Roche Limit. You have no idea what it's about. That's a good point. Yeah. And I just I had to look up Roche Limit the other day. That's when two celestial bodies come into like the orbiting, or right? The, the gravity and one of them dissipates. That's the Roche Limit. So be, I think it'll be interesting. It's science space stuff, man. Yeah, and I but didn't know Copperhead. that. Had I known that, I might have picked it up. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. I think both those will probably be, they should be interesting. I mean, they both look cool. Um, as far as, yeah, I don't have anything else book-wise really that I'm like. Oh, there was another one that was mentioned, but um, if I'm right, Witches is. Oh, yeah, Witches. Being um, written by Scott Snyder. Scott yeah. Snyder, also and, Image. And it's supposed to be so scary. But even Scott had to stop writing it. Yeah. Michael Morisi writes Roche Limit. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I can I remember. He did Hoax Hunters and stuff like that. Oh, and I like Hoax Hunters, And too. he's writing the new Hackslash. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's quite all right. So, so that might be a really good one for the horror genre. It's coming out from Image instead of the DC, so. Yeah, it's uh, the preview for it that was in the last month's preview, or this month's preview, the August previews, had like four, like an intro part, part to it. And yeah, it's, it looks pretty. It's pretty good, man. Like I, I'm pretty interested in it from just the little preview they put out. Did anybody read that severed book that Scott Center did? Um, I read yeah. part of it. Was it scary? I didn't think it was too scary. Okay, so this may up that bar a little bit. I, maybe. I. What did you think of that one, Mike? That was one you read. Severed. Severed. I liked it. There was a lot of. It was more innuendo, more left to the imagination than oh, actual, okay. actual gore. Okay, maybe he was just testing the waters because he's now a big superstar writer. (laughs) I really like the start of American Vampire, and it wasn't super scary. It had its horror elements, too. Mm -hmm. I forgot he did that. Right. Swamp Thing, too. Swamp Thing was not not as horror, but it was cool, too. A little bit. I I think there's something I miss about when they first started DC over is that they actually had them all broken up into genres. And I kind of miss that that's not the case anymore. They're just like, oh, it's DC, whatever. I think the editors had a different idea for, uh, uh, I bet it's an Aquaman. What's, what's, what's <laughs> Animal Swamp Man. Thing? Swamp Thing. Then uh, they're like, Snyder, you can do this. And then he quits. And then he gets Charles Soule to write it. Was it Charles Soule? Mm-hmm. And then they bring him into the JLD. And it's like, uh, now we're back to the same superhero stuff. You know what I mean? And that's what happened with Animal Man. It kind of went away from the horror part of it and went more toward he's a superhero again. But I think even even the Justice League Dark at the start was more horror elemented than mm-hmm. it is now. Well, I think as as it broke out of those genres, I think they were they were less focused on making it a certain genre, which is kind of sad. I kind of like that. You know what I think? I, me personally, I think it's the universe-wide crossovers that kind of break that stuff up. Because if you have Swamp Thing in the JLD, he can't be over here doing this darker stuff. I don't know why they don't do it that way. 
Um, send it back to Vertigo. That's you know what I'm saying. I think that caught was with Vertigo, but yeah. they really want everything to be playable in the same universe from the superhero stuff. And that's why there wasn't. And a, that's why there wasn't a place for Frankenstein, Age of the Shade. Yeah, that book rocked. Actually, we were just talking to a guy earlier today, and we were, we were, and he said he was really, and this was awesome. He was really disappointed that we didn't wind up getting, like genuinely disappointed that we didn't wind up getting a Frankenstein agent of shade green lantern we kind of did he d- does it for a minute but didn't become a dumb book yeah and I think we can't there was an awesome title for it oh, what was the title god it would have been uh, Frankenstein green lantern of shade yes Frankenstein green lantern of shade <laughs> would have made it for, for an awesome freaking title man of shade the changing man well I want to include that part because that's nothing to do with anything <laughs> Well, yeah, it, 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 yeah, that was Andrew I was talking to when Andrew was in here earlier today. And he's a good point, because, I mean, yeah, it, that would have been freaking awesome. Well, you know, sometimes the vision of a particular character, it, it doesn't last past the next writer, and, you know, that's just how it is, unfortunately. You know, Frankenstein's been showing up a lot. Yeah. Showing up with Batman and... Future's End. I, I think we... I think that's actually one of the big things that we should be happy for for the New 52, is that... Characters like Frankenstein are getting. Yeah. He's he's a lot more play than he ever did. He, they're making a. I mean, he's not confirmed for the Lego game, but they're making that Lego cover with Frankenstein on. Yeah, yeah, really should. So if, I mean, it wouldn't make sense to me for them to go to all the effort of making a model for him for him to not be in the actual game itself. That's just crazy. I think they're doing Lego covers that month. Huh? I think they're doing they are, but all the other all the other characters are characters that have already been in a game and stuff. Hmm. Shut down, movies? Steve. How do you feel I, about I, that? I, huh? know, I feel like it was put in my place. <laughs> okay, my place is over here on the other side of the room. Some humble pie for you. Hey, you know, it tastes good. It tastes <laughs> like crow? And, and I don't know what crow tastes like. <laughs> and, you know, but I don't eat a lot of pie, so I guess, you know, I wouldn't <laughs> know the difference anyway. Meat pies. I think that's something different. Oh, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> they were talking about two different things. You ever had mincemeat pie? Uh, no. That's disgusting. <laughs> it sounds like it. Oh, it's my God. It's sweet and there's meat. So I didn't know. It's not even barbecue. <laughs> but it's the sweet meat. It's the sweet <laughs> meat. No, Knocked three sorry. times on my ceiling. Really? Bitch! <laughs> that's something entirely different. <laughs> Alright. I don't know where 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 you came from. The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Oh Mrs. Lovett's Meat Pies. Okay, yeah, Jesus. yeah, Mrs. She's right. <laughs> Mrs. Lovett's Meat Pies, then they're made of real people. Just like Soil Soil Green. green. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Alright, I think that's it. Is there anything else? <laughs> Mike you got quiet over there all of a sudden. No, I was just thinking of throwing in Motel Hell, Farmer Vincent's uh, smoked meats, but I'll just leave it alone. Yeah, I well, think it was just gas. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> Tastes terrible. Ross? I'm good. All right, some sticky action? Sticky! Sticky! <laughs> sticky? I think, yeah, yeah, that's what he yeah. said. Just try it, try some it again. sticky action! <laughs> sticky! 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 Mike? Scissor. You know better. Oh. <laughs> Diggy. Diggy. Donde los campos. Donde.